Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's that time of the week again. The Rugby League rant, fifth and last. Put on your headgear, chuck in your mouth guard, and get ready for an hour of nothing but NRL tour. And back for another week of the fifth and last NRL podcast, and uh, a bit different this week. Boxhead, obviously, a bit of a change with uh, how work situations. You're obviously at home doing home teaching, so a little bit more availability. A bit of home teaching, mate. Yeah, mate. And on uh, my side of things, uh, my job is still an essential service, but at this point, we're on call for emergency jobs only, and what they'd consider category one or priority job so uh, at the moment I'll be in and out of home most days which has enabled us to record a little bit early here and we'll do review of the round our set of six power rankings etc and then we'll come back hopefully Wednesday morning depending on uh, my work situation and calls and we'll do our round preview yeah it's good like you've got to take the positives out of I guess the shit situation uh, that we can, yeah, more time at home means we've got a little bit more availability around when we can record, so we'll take advantage of it, give the fans what they want, give them two episodes this week. Yeah, on top of that, I think, uh, if any... I think, I like doing the review, like, I'm not a, as you know, and as most fans would know, I'm not a massive fan of doing the reviews Tuesday night, because for me, the games feel as though they're so far away, you know, like I'm sort of already looking ahead, and but uh, I, I like doing it on a Monday because the game's pretty fresh. We had three games yesterday. I thought the round of footy overall was pretty good. I was pretty pretty happy with the, the footy we watched considering like the move to the bubble and everything that had gone on. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed the, the weekend of games. Yeah, I thought it was okay. Like, there was a couple of games. like the, the Melbourne one, as a Melbourne fan, it's, it's great when your team's winning, but like far out it's uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to us playing Penrith in round 20 I'll put it to you that way yeah because as of recently it's almost looked majority of the time like they're playing a cup side It's it's been one sided almost every single week so yeah. um, I know the back end of the draw I'm pretty sure we have Penrith I think South might be in there somewhere um, but yeah looking forward to a game like that because at the moment it's not giving a real gauge uh, they've been outstanding, don't get me wrong, and there's been some things to appreciate, but it'd be really, really nice to have a bit of a contest and get a better read on uh, where we really are heading into the finals. Yeah, I think Penrith would feel the same way, and Penrith fans would probably feel that way as well. Mm. Uh, other than that, let's jump in. Set of six to kick us off. And, uh, probably one of the biggest things to happen over the weekend. Tackle one was Gus Gould now being appointed as the general manager of football at the Bulldogs, the all-encompassing role on the football side of things, the same role he held at the Penrith Panthers. And, and we knew early in the year 
for anyone uh, that watches him on TV or listens to his podcast, that he was approached by the Bulldogs, but at the time, obviously, was in, engrossed in that role. The Warriors felt like it was too soon to leave the Warriors, and even with the whole COVID situation, was wanting to have his effect there. Once the bubble come down, he explained himself. He was able to make a couple of trips, get over to New Zealand Rugby League, the Warriors, meet some of the power brokers, talk to the CEO. They already decided about some things to put in place for Junior Pathways, development for the club, for New Zealand Rugby League, and a lot of areas. But during the second lockdown, he was obviously taken away again um, from the team, from the club, from New Zealand, and the situation uh, that he found himself in was the Bulldogs making a second approach he said that he spoke uh, to the CEO to kind of clarify everything and that they were okay with the whole situation. And uh, basically, the Warriors gave their blessing given the circumstances. And I'm pretty sure he clarified himself that between the Bulldogs, the Warriors and himself, they're happy for him to still have an involvement with the Warriors, with pathways in terms of New Zealand Rugby League and, and keep that relationship somewhat open. But by the sounds of things, from what he explained, they've already got... Uh, a good network or a good framework in place even with the limited time that he had spent there but I, I guess from the Warriors and New Zealand perspective this, this whole circumstance has clearly made things very very hard and, and I'm sure from his perspective and theirs they would have liked it to be for the next couple of years but um, if he continues to have any sort of involvement that can only be a positive but in terms of a move on the Bulldogs side of things I think this is the biggest bit of news they've had in the past 12 to 18 months with all the board drama, the coaching situation, pay being gone, Barrett coming in, you know, just constant change, upheaval, struggles in recruitment, probably overpaying for a couple of guys when they've got free money. I don't think this could have happened at a better time. No, and having that inside involvement at the Bulldogs at Mounties... It, yeah, it comes at a good time. It comes at a very similar time to when he came in at the Panthers and I was fortunate enough to be involved at the Panthers during that time. And what he did to rebuild Penrith into what it is today, um, he was the leading driver behind, you know, the centre of excellence, the aligning of the pathways. Uh, it, yeah, it was just at a similar time. Penrith were at loggerheads. They weren't getting great results on the field. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't think they won or wouldn't spend the Panthers, but they went pretty close. It was a similar time to when Newcastle were, were struggling as well. Uh, he just went through from an organisational perspective and got good people involved from the administration perspective and then just put a broom through the roster and built the roster. Early doors, it was all around leadership and the modelling of behaviour and having... I guess players that might have been past their best but would demonstrate the right things for the juniors and set a good culture. I know culture is a bit of a buzzword, but just set the right example for those young players and that worked. Um, yeah. He, he sort of, it, like you, you, would, you would call this time at Penrith a success. I, you know, a lot of people sort of draw draw to the fact that they didn't win a competition while he was there but they're pretty bloody close now to, to winning one they played in a grand final last year in the year when he, he left so yeah he's he's right up for this he, he's he got links to the Bulldogs as a player and as a as a coach the Bulldogs need it I think Trent Barrett needs it uh, and I don't mean that 
in that Trent and the staff there aren't doing a good enough job. But you know, he's the, he's the perfect person to help them in the situation that they're currently in now. And um, you know, from having some inside involvement, I think Trent Barrett's you know a, a really good coach, and I think he yeah, he just the more help he can get, and the more good people he can get involved at the club, the better. They've got Steve Hansen there, which not a lot of people know that. All Blacks coach, he's there um, working as well at the Bulldogs, so they've got some very successful uh, people from both Rugby Union with the All Blacks and then now Gus who's won, he's won everything in Rugby League, so I, I think it's a re- it's really good timing is probably what I would I would say and I think you've summed up the New Zealand side of things really well as well that you know, I guess It's just a hard situation just depend, depend the pandemic's just screwed the potential for that relationship to be as beneficial as possible for the Warriors, hasn't it? Because, you know, what, what he would have done in the, in the time that we've had the pandemic and he hasn't been able to get over to New Zealand would have made a huge difference and he probably owes, feels as though he owes them that debt, which is why I think in that information you've gone into in re- relation to the Bulldogs being happy with him doing some development stuff and pathways with New Zealand... Um, I think that's that's going to benefit the whole game. I don't think that's obviously it's going to benefit the Warriors, but it's going to benefit the whole game. Well, they will. So I, I, I don't see why Canterbury would stand in the way of him, him having that involvement. Yeah, it's obviously not on a full time basis, but in you know any sort of questioning ideas and anything that they've sort of had a look at or put in base now, and they're going to have Adam Blair, Stacey Jones, all these other guys. I should probably touch on this more in our next point because it's going to do more of the Warriors, but. Um, sticking with the Gus theme here, I think there's two sides to this in a way as well. I don't think it could have happened at any better time for the fact that when he got to Penrith, like you said, the junior pathway needed to be completely fixed up, but you knew the junior pathway was there and it could be fixed. It was just mismanaged for a long period of time. They've got that into ship shape now. That's why you're seeing all these Penrith juniors coming through, guys that they're having to let go because they've got players on top of players. They're getting them at the right price. They've got a production line there. They debut on their own. It builds those strong relationships, which is leading to the situation you have now. But salary cap-wise, when he arrived, they had a lot of work to do. You had the Jennings deal, the Lewis situation, where he obviously had him move on. Lachlan Coote, Tim Grant, they had a lot of big deals. It took a lot longer to turn that around. So I think from the perspective of where the Bulldogs are at right now, salary cap-wise, it's a much better situation because he's walked in to a club that has 12 players off contract this coming year, another six the year after. In terms of timing, I don't think it could have been any better because I think this off-season they had $2 million and I think they spent it quite poorly, um, in all honesty. To, to take Corey Allen off Souths, who weren't willing to match his price or upgrade him and basically told him you're free to go and pay him close to half a million dollars and he was out of the side for a bit there. Kotrick, I like him as a player, but again, to play 600, 650,000, to let him play centre, and then he ends up back on the wing. Like There was a few moves this off-season alone of some concern. Um, the Flanagan deal, how's that going to work out? I don't know if he's going to be there beyond 12 months, but I'm glad he's got there now because it's not too late in terms of these big moves that are coming. Burton's coming from Penrith. He's obviously a big fan. Addo Carr's coming as well. Brent Naden, I, I guess they wouldn't have had to pay a lot to get him. And Matt Dufty's a one-year, you know, that benefits both sides. You've got a guy there who has good attacking potency, has 
had a lot written about him in the media, which is probably a bit unfair, which has led to him not getting a lot of interest, and he's going to get an opportunity. So I think salary cap-wise, couldn't be any better timing-wise to get Gus there. Junior-wise, their pathway is definitely not as strong as what it used to be or as big an area as Penrith, but you know he'll put good structures in place. And the fact that it is a GM role, he gets all areas of football. So I think probably the bigger point you've made before is his connections, his smarts. He's going to be able to attract coaches, attract players, help seal deals, help get juniors across the line, help rebuild the path. He'll be able to tap into all the areas that the Bulldogs have been lacking in recent time and have an impact. And like you said, Steve Hansen's there. Barrett, he's had an association with, and by any stretch of the, of the means, I don't think Barrett has the capacity to coach an NRL side, manage a roster, manage a salary cap recruitment. That, that, that'll that be basically out of his hands. I'm sure he'll have some say, but this is probably the best-case scenario for him. I guess the only question a lot of people would have is this bet hopefully doesn't end up like the back end of Penrith, where we know he was trying to pull the strings. He got rid of Ivan. He had his troubles with Hook. He was trying to, you know, obviously push probably at the end there to have Seraldo or someone else in place before he was moved on when they brought Ivan back. And the only other side is when they did develop some players and got that roster in a good position, he was probably a little too frivolous and trustworthy in a few of the locals when he gave out some big deals, like Wunga Blake's five-year deal, Campbell Gillard's six-year deal, um, and then you had Wade Egan on almost half a million dollars who was moved on immediately to the Warriors. So um, all the good he did far outweighs the bad sponsorship dollars we know he can attract we know he can bring uh, you know people in the club from that perspective I, I can't see any negatives in all areas for the Bulldogs but I guess the proof will be in the pudding in a few years time I think that last point you made about the commercial value that he's going to oh, huge have is, is going to be massive so and, underrated and they've already got know, big commercial from yeah, where, where Penrith went from in, in relation to their commercial and financial Situation in 2000, and, I think it was 2010 when he when he came back on board, or 2011, uh, might have been 2012. But whenever he came in, Penrith, he, um, you know, he, some of the decisions he made, they're, they're now far more far more economically sound and commercially valuable than what they were when uh, prior to him arriving. So I think Canterbury are, are a fantastic brand and and club and have got a lot of history and a lot of backing but I think this will only strengthen that 100% and they've, they've lost sponsorship over the last couple of years through some unfortunate you know misdemeanors like minor things in, in all light of things but if you're a sponsor not things you want to have, have happen but a club that has a powerful leagues club Laundie's money involved now who's one of the biggest pub barons in Australia Gus coming over with his collection of attachments in all areas so it's going to be beneficial commercially any coaches that aren't worth their weight or pulling their, you know, finger out in terms of junior pathways or any point of the club or employed in a role, I'm guaranteed you won't be there. There'll be lots of changes in all those areas. He'll get to oversee, um, like we said, development, juniors, recruitment, retention, the programs and infrastructure, coaching, staffing, cap. There's going to be a lot of areas that he's going to be able to address and get the right people in. So, I, yeah, I, I don't really see too many downsides. And then timing-wise, like you said, for the salary cap, to have 12 to 13 players off. Um, I think they're getting him at the right time because they've gone in the last off-season, probably spent some money a bit frivolously and it hasn't worked out uh, the greatest. And I think right now is probably a really good time when there's talk around them potentially paying big money for a Pungai junior, which I find questionable. I don't know if that's something he would do or at least try to get market value. 
and they're obviously talking about Paul Vaughan as well, which given the situation there, they're more likely to get market value or unders. So uh, I think yeah, it's, it's, it's the right time for him to be there. Absolutely. So we'll see how that one plays out, but uh, big win. But on the flip side of that, tackle two, we talk about the Warriors and Gus obviously moving on from there. Just their whole situation. Uh, it's been a really difficult two years this year. No, no different again. Back into the bubble, split pre-season, half the guys over in New Zealand, half here. Uh, they've had a shocking run with injuries. Their two main recruits originally, Fanua Blake had the knee problem. Ewan Aiken got hurt as well. They've had some decisions to make, squad-wise, roster-wise. They've, they've been really affected to a bigger point, like we talked about, from this pandemic than anybody because the year this hit... We were due to fly over there when we were at the Tigers to play their SG ball team, which was the first time they entered into Australian-based comp. And half the criticism for a lot of their juniors is they get it the easy way. They play over there, they come through, and they've never played a tough game. And when they hit cup and grade, they struggle. This team come into SG ball, played against all the best sides, was dominating, looking very, very strong. And then once the pandemic hit, they're unable to travel. And within 12 months, the team got pulled apart. So... They've lost a potential future generation of Warrior player. They've held on to a few of them, but a lot of them, once that opportunity uh, disappeared, were poached by the club. So it's, it's been hard for them. They've got a link now with Redcliffe. They've got some of those better kids over here playing, but again, they're not home. They're not able to put as much time or have that pathway and, and have those players based there and play in the Australian comp. And I guess roster-wise as well, um, just looking at what they're doing right now, I, I think given the circumstances of the past 18, 24 months and right now, I think they've done a pretty good job. I reckon they've done a fantastic job. Um, and even even the moves they've made this year, like say what you will, character-wise, you may not like Matt Lodge, but to get Brisbane to chip in the money they are, they're getting him for market value or less. He's played good the last few weeks. He's still young. Um, you know, Fanua Blake coming over. When he's on the field, he was huge on the weekend. To get Walsh off the Broncos for a hundred grand this year, in the next couple of years, they're saying it's only three, four hundred. He's already well exceeded that value, so I think there's some good moves there. The Johnson move last minute, I know that broke down a few years ago, but you're talking about a guy that was on a million dollars, wanted a million, got nine hundred off the Sharks, and is now coming back for five hundred. On on the market where halves are overinflated, I think that's worked out very well for them. Six by seven, six or seven, less. Something seven. Yeah, so they could be. You know, you, you win half of them, you're in the eight comfortably. I, they look, they look like the team. From my perspective, that um, are going to be really, really unlucky to not play finals football, and I think a lot of that will be due to the fact that they've had injuries and and they've had legitimate excuses. I think on top of that, to. I know they haven't been up the whole time, but the effort at the back end of last year after spending the whole year away, having guys that wanted to go home, 
come back in this year, like we said, split preseason, new coach, same setup again, bubble. You find out that Sheck's not going to be there. They jag Walsh. You lose Fanua Blake. You, you lose Aitken. Sirenen's been out. Egan's now going to be out. Harris has been out, comes back in. Now apparently he's torn his ACL. Um, like it's it's been a roller coaster. They haven't been healthy a majority of the time. They've had a constant rotation of players through the squad. If, if everyone, they've got the hardest situation in terms of being over here full time, and they still don't know next year what the situation is going to be. But there's still a great potential long term that um, you know that they may not be able to play in New Zealand full time next year. So I think, given the circumstances. There is some positives. They've done some decent work, like we said, in terms of recruiting or getting guys uh, for under market value or people chipping it. Even the Dallin deal, say what you will. I don't think he's a fullback and he wasn't worth the money the Bulldogs were paying, but the freight they're now tipping in, the extension they've done to put him on the wing, again, I think he's more worth market value and they've redone that deal. the All-Stars when a few people criticised Nathan Brown and it's like well we haven't even had a proper pre-season we're not worried about you know a, a game unfortunately that's a one-off and it's, it's all well and good and to celebrate culture for both sides which is great but they literally hadn't had their squad together exactly right uh, their, their priority was to be ready for this season so um, it's, it's really been a hard circumstance but even moving forward um, they've done well to keep some of those kids, and we've seen them. I think Rocco Berry, why injured yesterday, he's shown some good flashes. He's one of those young guys. Uh, they've obviously pushed in Cozy. Pompey has played some games. He's been all right. Uh, young Otakola, they gave a run the other week. He was one of the better players out of that SG ball side. He was the captain. He's been extended. I think that's only a positive uh, because Egan, he, he has his moments, but I think that's still an area long-term they need to address. So hopefully he's the man there. Johnson back, like we said, with Chanel Tavita-Harris. Walsh there for Sheck, who's going to be a huge loss. And the re-signings, like to re-sign Afoa, Rocco, Otacolo, Pompey, Jazz, I think for the most part, and the moves on top with Lodge, etc. Uh, Penne coming over from Melbourne, who's showing to be quite a good player. They're not in a bad situation. And, and the ones they have off contract and what they've got moving forward, I, I just really hope for them more than anything that once they get home, get stability get to lay back into these pathways and potentially have their team playing back in the Australian pathways, that uh, they'll be in a really good situation. Yeah, I hope so. so. I really do. I hope, I hope this period strengthens and doesn't and doesn't weaken them long-term. Mm. It's, uh, it's been a rough run, but yeah, full credit. 
uh, to the Warriors for what they've done so far. And fingers crossed again, come 2022, there is a bit more stability and clarity on this situation. I can only imagine the boost it would be uh, to be finally probably home next year, hopefully, in front of home fans and play some home games and the impact that will have, and for their young blokes as well. So, fingers crossed. They were supposed to play a home game, I think, in two weeks. They were going to have Rogers farewell. That's been dashed. Yeah, they were going to have Sheck's farewell in New Zealand, which is now gone, um, obviously, with the situation. So, when it does happen, it's going to be a hell of a homecoming. Well, hopefully, at the back end of these seven weeks, they can actually do it. Yeah. You know, things improve. Oh, I'm probably more optimistic and open-minded on everything, but, you know, I know a lot of people, and the majority of the Fox commentators and people around the game and even the players talking sort of down your line that they think, you know, the rest of the season is probably going to be in Queensland. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe I'm just more hopeful. I, I don't know. But I think everything, again, hinges... Hinges on crowds. So if we're in the situation we're in, I think they've already made it abundantly clear. If there's no yeah, possibility yeah. of crowds and having people there, they'll, they'll set up camp where they are, which I just think is the right thing to do. If you're going to be there for six to no, eight I weeks. Agree. I, I completely agree. Yeah, completely agree. If, yeah. if we can't get crowds, then it's pointless. But if we're on the eve yeah, of finals or a week away and suddenly it's like you can come back but you can only have 25 50%, I just don't see the point. Stay where you are. Maximise the crowd. They, yeah, they wouldn't move back for any any less than fifty percent. You would think. Would yeah, you? and even that sort of situation, I think they just prefer to back the fact that Suncorp, Gold Coast, anywhere they have the games and the crowds that they'll get, you know, full freight. And I guess for the players, they may be in a bubble, but I think after this two weeks, from what I've heard, they only have to follow government rules, so they'll be able to have, you know, not only their families, hopefully, the majority of them up there within yeah. the next week. They've had some complications there, but yeah, that was. They'll be able that was to live. Point last week, I, I really think. Yeah, sorry. Mate. Yeah, they'll be able to live a semi-normal life uh, after these two weeks with the Queensland rules, and you know, a, as a whole, I don't think they're a fair game to walk around and go out and drink and do whatever else. But as clubs, uh, from what I heard, listening to Reed Marnie and a few others on the radio, once the two weeks are served at their resorts, you know, they'll be able to do things like play some golf and get out a little bit as a group rather than just be locked in level four either at home or at training. So. Yeah, that was my point on last week's show. I think, like, I know it's been hard for them to to move up and, you know, I know they had to do it quickly, but I think the situation up north from a general life perspective is far better at this point in time because Captain Crazy might lock them down and, um, you know, we, we might go through that whole process that we're going through here up there. We, we don't know you know, what's going to happen in the crystal ball, but right at this second, you know, A, we can get crowds, and B, we can make it easier on our players from a, a, a living perspective. I think it's a complete no-brainer to, to stay there, like you said, until we can get at least a comparable uh, crowd and financial benefit Yeah, moving back to, like, their normal, their normal locations. And if it's not there... Close to finals, I'm sure they'll just cut that off and make the decision that they're going to stay there, which would make sense as well because they obviously want to know. Yeah, what, it'd be what... horrendous. Like I've been in... oh. yeah, I've been to grand final since 2000. So sorry for that. That's a garage opening under me. <laughs> I didn't hear it, man. Ah, it's all right. We'll just play sure, off. I'm not sure the listeners would have heard. It. I think they did, but it doesn't matter. 
But uh, what what you what I was going to say, our grand final streak would be over. Yeah, I've been to every one. My first was year 2000. Yeah, and mine was 06. So, oh, anyway, it's the, the situations are extraordinary, so... It'd be like the Panthers' uh, win. Yeah, what do you, what do, you do? We'll, we'll count it like the Panthers' win streak at home. Technically, it's not over. Yeah, well, it's not over, is it? No, it's not. Their, win, their winning streak... Their home streak is over. No, nah. oh, the, sorry, the full strength side streak. Their, their winning, their, like their winning, winning streak with their full team was the one that I sort of. Yeah, that was that was the job I was going for. It's like just beat, beat their best, beat their best side. So. That, yeah, that was the job I was going for. Lockdown set me crazy, but all good. Yeah, that's, uh, that's all good. That's all right. Tackle. Oh, good. Tackle three. Signing news and a couple of movement. There's uh, there's been a little bit more this week. Uh, the Dale Finucane situation has just escalated to a whole new level. Weeks back, it was one or two clubs that were interested. Terms were well and truly apart with managers, clubs. They were talking four years, big money. Most clubs were talking maybe two years, solid money. Um, it's really ramped up since then with a few of the lower clubs obviously looking at the situation they're in. I think the fact, the way that Bellamy spoke about him, Freddie bring him to camp. He went from being 18th man to suddenly vice-captain um, and played in that last game. And I think a few clubs have realised that there's a big hole maybe that they're willing to pay a little bit extra for to address culturally or within their squad. So we've now arrived at the situation where there's six clubs interested in Dale Finucan. The Cowboys are now up to three years and uh, decent money. The Dragons, with the money they've freed up, are now interested Titans have emerged as a big smoky this week with a three-year deal. The Tigers apparently are 50-50 because they're still in for Pungai Jr., which I don't understand. If you're looking to have a turnaround in culture, direction and leadership, I think it's a no-brainer who you'd be signing uh, out of those two. And uh, the Sharks with Fitzgibbon at the helm and Newcastle are both of interest in Dale Finucane as well. So uh, an absolute array of options and apparently Melbourne are very long odds now just on money and terms to be able to keep Dale Finucane so I guess it'll be up to him the situation but uh, from if you listen to all the journos which is again a flip of a coin they all seem to think that the Titans are really really impressed him this week and, and the Dragons have come in heavy so I, I don't know where he lands but if you're Dale Finucane out of those options where would you want to go? Well <clears throat> my preference would be to stay in Melbourne yeah. To put, it, to put it very bluntly, but... If we're talking money... Yeah, if money's well apart, though, and it's just out of the question, you have to leave Melbourne. And you have to go, yeah. Uh, I'd, probably, I'd probably look at Newcastle. That, that's me. Uh, firstly, um, because I think, you know, you've got Pierce and Ponga there, so from a spine perspective, I think Adam O'Brien um, is a... You know, well credentialed coach. I, part of me has always been intrigued and sort of respected Newcastle as a it's a rugby league town. I think he'd fit in because he's that blue collar worker. Like I think he'd resonate with the town. I, I think they're Newcastle out of all the teams that you've spoken about are probably the one that I look at and go, you know, they're really going to shoot up the ladder probably sooner than the others that you've, you've outlined. The Titans, I don't quite understand. So forward heavy. They've already got... Thinking like we seem to just want to buy forwards and not want to buy key position players. Um, you know, is, is it that they're not going to sign 
Jared Wallace. Like, is Jared Wallace off him this year? I think he's on decent money. But no. still, you got to pitch money from somewhere else. Like, I know Ash Taylor's on a significant amount and he's not going to... Well, it looks like he's not going to be at the club next year, so they're going to free up some money in their cap. But you've already got other players there on big contracts who aren't quite delivering on what they should be at the price. So, I'd, yeah, I'd, I'm not sure I would pay heavy for a middle forward. But, yeah, the long, long answer and making it short, I, I'd probably go to Newcastle if I was thinking. Yeah, well, I was going to say, I'd, I'd, if I'm him, I'm not going to the Tigers unless it was all about money and they blew me out of the water. The Sharks, I think, are making some positive moves, but I don't think it makes sense with McInnes, everyone's forgotten about, who's basically been confirmed his move there as a lock. But mind you, that was signed under the Morris uh, sort of... Not that he had a say, the club signed him there, but I think he will be more going there to play as a lock now on the contract he signed, not to play as a nine with Braley already signed up, unless they just moved him in as a front rower, which he can do now with the way the game's going. Um, Woods... Tolman both off contract, so that's an option. But uh, yeah, the Gold Coast, I, I don't know. I think he'd be beating his head against a brick wall. That was, yeah, I was going to ask you that. What's your, what's your take on the Gold Coast? Like, are they going to play him as a prop? Well, that's the thing. I, I look at that situation if I'm him and just think we'd have a hell of a forward pack. But again, spine wise, I, I don't see it turning around quick enough. There's no halves or nines available until 2023. Essentially, next year would be a big moving time for the Titans to make a signing. So. If you're Dale Finucan, uh, that move would be based on hope that 2023 they'd maybe steal a Brandon Smith or a better half, but they've they've gone so top-heavy. Tino, Fafita, Brimson's just extended. Moiaki's due for an upgrade. Like, the tailor money that's coming out, they've essentially spent that and more already for Fafita. Um, you know, like, to heavily invest again in Origin. They, they have because he's, he's still counted in... He's still counted in this year's cap. We're I, both months of this year's cap. So. Yeah, I get that, but I'm saying essentially... That, that money will be freed up. Yeah. But you, like you said, when you've extended Brimson and some other things, like they're, they're, there's, probably, there's probably a good half a mil there mm. free, but it's more about where you're going to spend it. You, you, they need to be spending it on a hooker or, or, or a half to replace. Yeah. They, can't, they can't be happy with... How the nine six seven situation's going? No, and they've paid Liu good money. Liu wouldn't have gone there for cheap either. So uh, yeah, middle four, middle four, middle four. I'm looking at that situation, going okay. So what's the plan? Like they're using Moiaki. Oh, yeah, I'd love him, but we don't need him. No, you, you use a Moiaki off the bench. Tino's played edge, lock, middle. That people are talking about Fafita playing as a middle, which it doesn't work. He's an edge, but he needs to grow his game, and they need a consistently yeah. decent half outside of him. So. If you're moving Dale there, to me, you're getting Moiaki, Tino as you start in front row, Dale's your 13, Fafita's on an edge, and then you've got Liu, who automatically doesn't fit because he plays as a middle. So unless you're pushing someone back to the bench, which Moiaki does now, which I don't understand because he's their most consistent middle. Um, like, yeah, you're just spending ridiculous money all on forwards when your critical need is in your spine. So yeah. I'm with you. Looking at all those clubs, I think probably the two that work for me situationally where they are are Newcastle and probably the Cowboys. I think the Cowboys have rolled over a lot of players. They've rolled over more. They've locked in some young guys. They've got a good young core group. He's probably going to have to suffer again for another 12 months. But I think with what they're pushing through, him, Tamalolo, then you've got a couple of those young forwards. Uh, the half situation, I'm not so sold on that, but... 
I could see some positive there. Um, yeah, I was going to say, I, I really disagree from a half. Yeah, that's, that's the one spot I look at. Um, but yeah, Newcastle. Newcastle, Fitzgibbon's off contract. They've had that awkward situation this year. They could potentially move on from him, push Barnett into the back row with Frizzell. You've got the two Safidis up front. You put Dale at 13. Pierce, Ponga, Clifford looks pretty settled. They've got some outside backs like Bradman Best needs to stay on the field. Like that that situation of all, if it's not Melbourne, is probably the best one. Yeah. The Sharks one still interests me, though, because... The club essentially signed McInnes as a lock before they got Fitzgibbon, which I've never agreed with clubs buying players when yeah, you don't have a coach. That's a really hard. And I like McInnes. Hard situation that one. Yeah, I really like McInnes, so and I think thirteen yeah, suited him. Like, but Fitzgibbon, Fitzgibbon might look at that and go, Bleh. "Yeah, well, that's mm. that's one where I go, I agree with the move, but just the coach because you've employed him afterwards. So if Dale was coming in, he'd essentially to me yeah. have, to, have to wear the eight or the ten. Yeah, so, right. yeah, interesting, but uh, in other news, I could just mention Pungai Jr. apparently is set to make a decision this week. Um, the Tigers and the Bulldogs both getting impatient. They're waiting on him. It's no longer Brisbane. It's no longer his manager. Apparently, it's him making a decision, which, again, is half of what worries me, that a bloke that is being pushed out of a club's had a lot of up and downs, a lot of suspensions, lots of issues, all the talent in the world, but doesn't deliver consistently. He's got two clubs that are basically willing to pay big money again, and he can't make his mind up. So, um, oh yeah, if I'm one of those clubs, to me, it's just a red flag. I, he's not a person I'd be signing, and if I was, I'd want him for unders or market value, not for six fifty seven hundred thousand. Yeah, I agree totally. Mm. Uh, I have nothing more to add on that one. I, yeah, he's, he's given no indication that he's worth big money. No. In regards to his on-field or off-field behaviour, maybe small little glimpses on the field, but yeah, I couldn't say I'd be shelling out big money for him. No, but uh, Bulldogs, as we said, still linked there. They've always been linked to Vaughan as well, but nothing really more has come out of that. They've made a couple of internal re-signings, and now we know about Gus. Uh, there's the Connor Watson situation. Apparently, a lot of the Newcastle faithful and, and fans and players obviously want him to stay on board. Uh, I'm pretty sure I heard he dropped his manager and Calum Pong, his dad, is now acting as his manager. It's his best mate as well, which makes a really awkward situation. So I, I kind of get the feeling more from a political point of view he'll end up getting re-signed. But if I was a club out there, I'd sign Connor Watson. I think Connor Watson's a really good footballer. Um, but yeah, the situation at Newcastle seems to be getting a bit weird in terms of uh, his position at the club they've also made a couple other big re-signings during the week both the Safidi brothers extended they were already signed until 2022 Daniel has been extended now until 2026 and Jacob until 2024 uh, Heimel Hunt signed for two more years as well there's uh, the Anthony Milford situation which apparently we're going to get some news very very soon there's an NRL club keen after it looking like he was going to go to the Super League my guess is a South Sydney just Wayne Bennett sold. They said Parramatta last. They were saying Parramatta last night. They were talking about that immediately this year, not next year. Um, apparently. Oh, sorry, sorry, Mark, sorry, sorry, sorry. I thought you were yeah. talking about this year. Sorry, yeah. And they reckon Mark O'Neill uh, is really pushing for it, seeing him as the perfect forward, ain't off the bench. Um, I think they've got a couple of guys that play a pretty decent role, and just form-wise, I don't know if I'd be taking a role on Milford for the finals. That's just me. Uh, I think they've got options they could have there, like a Will I Smith. Guess that's that. That's that. That fine line between having the money and where you spend it and 
Well, I don't think and they then do. It sort of becomes, uh, okay, what do you want? What's on offer? Mm. And, and where's he play? Like, I look at, say, Will Smith, who's at least played. Yeah, 14, like you said, and then yeah. it's like, well, do you want to play him as a 14? Do you want to deploy him in the middle? Because I don't. No, like, I don't. No. He, he doesn't defend well on an edge, so how's he going to back it up if you stuck him in the middle to float around? Like, Will Smith may not be the flashiest player in the world, but he's a tough bastard. He'll defend middle edge wherever yeah, he gets and the put. Other side of it is like, well, can can any of your your one six seven play in the middle? And the answer to that is no. Mm. So I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't quite understand it. Maybe it's just they think, well, let's get him in, see what he's like. Yeah, and then we uh, might build our depth up in case we get an injury to one of those positions, and then have basically a trial period for him with the potential of signing for the year after. Mm. Well, my inkling is South. I just think Wayne Bennett put him in the shop front the other week because everyone asked him about him and he said, well, you want an advertisement? If I was a club, I'd sign him, which is no surprise. Wayne's always done that for players that he has an affinity for. He worked with Demetrio. We don't know what's going to happen with Benji. I, I could see it happening uh, for a decent price, but, I again, could South rehab him? I don't know. With Reynolds moving on, would he end up there with him and Walker? I don't think so. Um, but if they got him for peanuts, I guess it would be worth rolling the dice. But that's just my my guess um, of where he potentially ends yeah, I think, up. I think my, my take probably is for the right price. Yeah. Um, and the last few bits, just to finish off, it's been spoke about all year, but it's finally come to fruition. Uh, Billy Walters will be a Bronco in 2022. They've pushed hard to get him back this year to play, but uh, he'll be coming up. Next year, Manly, I think I mentioned last week, made a lot of re-signings, including now Morgan Harper, Kieran Foran, and Lachlan Croker. And the last two pieces of news, signing or movement-wise, are one-year extensions. One by the Penrith Panthers with Mitch Kenny. So another one that Trent Barrett was targeting the Bulldogs. Takes the one-year deal at Penrith, I guess, just to be in a better situation. Uh, I can't blame him. I think it's a smart move rather than jumping to the Bulldogs. Um, And Jake Turpin for Brisbane has had a club option, uh, sorry, a player option, he's taken that. So whether they were happy about that or not, I don't know. They don't have many nines inside. Yeah, well, there's not many nines out there, so I don't know where they really would have gone elsewhere uh, or signed for the time being, but he's got himself an extension now for one more year. So, there you go. There you go. Tackle four. Good for him. Oh, yeah, great situation for him. Tackle four, the top eight. We know the top four is essentially all but done. The clubs that are in behind in fifth and sixth in the Roosters and Manly are essentially three wins away, so we can't see them getting chased down. Uh, I'd find it hard to see Storm or Panthers dropping out of one or two, but South is only one win behind, so a couple of head-to-head games in the final part of the season could decide that. But seventh and eighth, they're the only two positions that are left up for grabs. These teams are all playing each other. They're beating each other. We've seen the Dragons roll the Raiders the other week. The Raiders go ahead and roll the Sharks. Newcastle's playing a couple. The Titans, the Tigers, etc. Um, as it stands right now, good luck trying to figure this picture out because the Dragons looked well and truly entrenched. Then we obviously have the situation the other week. Players getting suspended. You've got the Sharks who reeled off five or six in a row lose to Brisbane, lose to Canberra on the weekend. Canberra, every time they look dead, seem to hit the revive button uh, in the ER room and pull themselves from the fire. They've shown some fight. 
Newcastle popped up the other week, got a sniff. Now Pierce, we don't know how long he's going to be injured for. That's critical for them. And then you've got three guys on the operating table in the Tigers, the Titans, and the Cowboys who are two wins away from the bottom of the eight now, but have games ahead against those teams in that sort of mix there. So honestly, uh, as of right now, I have a little bit of hope for Canberra, which I didn't have a few weeks ago. They've got three games with teams directly around them coming up in the next few weeks. Um, the Dragons, I don't know. They've got Penrith, South coming up in the next couple of weeks. They've also got a game against Canberra, which is very important. And then Cronulla, just, you know, they've got the Bulldogs this weekend, but you would have thought they would have beaten Brisbane. So you just don't know what to think. Is that confirmed? How long went off on the weekend. They haven't. Excuse me. Is it confirmed how long he's out for? Do we know? Is it a week? Is it long term? No, well, it's hard to know. But the, my point, my point is more that you know these players. You sort of go, okay, if they're if they're there and available, you're going to be really confident about Newcastle's performance and chances of playing finals. They're not. They're not there. So I, I, I probably. My gut says to me now that, like you've just articulated, I think the Raiders are a huge chance now. I'd put it. I'd confidently put a pen through the Cowboys. I think the Cowboys have really hit a wall. Uh, the West is the Titans. Like it's horrendous that we're even talking about those two as a as a finals contender it just shows you how bad like a whole group of teams have been the Dragons I think I think the Dragons have played probably the Dragons and the Sharks have probably been the most consistent teams out of, out of this group it's just now whether they can get enough wins to to get themselves there Newcastle and the Warriors I think have been the two that have been unlucky because of due to injury Oh, now, yeah, my gut would say I think one of, or two, two of the three of Dragons, Sharks, Raiders getting that would be that would be my my gut. Yeah, I, I would I would be shocked if the Titans or Tigers got in, or the Warriors, and and the Warriors is only based on who they've got available. Same as Newcastle, I'd be shocked if Newcastle got in without Pierce, without Ponga, like they had Sidney out as well. You can't; those sides can't have quality out and then compete like we saw on the weekend. They they just got their asses handed to them. The Gold Coast, their defence has been diabolical. So was the Tigers. Like, but they can; they're both pretty good attacking sides. If they get in, they're going to be fodder anyway. Like, the question is probably who would you like to see there? I'd, I'd like to see Canberra there because I think if a few things align for them, they've got the quality there. Like we've seen what they can do. Well, if we're going off that. Uh, I, I, the other one, it, it'd be fully fit, like fully yeah. fit. I'd like to see Newcastle. Raiders and Newcastle. Be there. They'd be the best too. Well, you know what, also, if fully fit, I'd like to see the Warriors there. Yeah. As we said before, like you look at their record, they've, they've done really, really well 
in a year where they've just been smashed by injury. So if you're talking about fully fit, I'd love to see the Warriors, but that, that's not, not going to happen by the looks of it. No. So it's just an interesting puzzle, man. Like it's, I know everyone will probably say, well, the top six is done. And I, I understand that, but this this puzzle between sort of eight teams, isn't it? Like you could, well, I'd probably rule three out. You'd rule, you'd rule Brisbane, Canterbury and the Cowboys, I'd rule out. Well, I'd rule out those... So po- you seven teams for two spots. I'd take those three and the Warriors just because they're another win behind... And then Sorry, yeah, the Warriors. Yeah, there you, you go. You're looking at the situation. Like the Cowboys play three of those teams around them, but they've got the Eels, the Storm, Eagles, and that. So they're essentially going to have to win the other four games. I can't see it happening. So I've basically got them gone. The Tigers, they play Penrith and Manly. They, then they play the Sharks and Cowboys who are around them, the Warriors, the Dogs twice, which is a big plus for them in the situation they're in. But again, I don't really have much faith. So, again, they're pretty much going to need to win at least four. Um, and the Titans are in a similar situation. They play the Dragons this week, which is direct effect on that result. The Bulldogs and the Cowboys, that's their next three games. They, if they don't win their next three, they're gone. Because after that, they play South and Melbourne. Yeah, um, I'd go as far as saying this weekend, they're gone. 100%. And that's why I look at them and go, I can't trust them to rattle off three in a row. So I'm essentially... Saying right now, Titans, Tigers, yeah, Cowboys. Tigers are in a good spot, aren't they? The Tigers, Tigers are in a really good spot. Well, two games against the Dogs. They've got the Warriors after next yeah. week busted. They've got the Cowboys. Um, they play Manly this so week. Eight points. Manly this week will be hard. And yep. Sharks will be a 50-50. And Penrith, second last round will be hard. But they've got probably four games there if they play decent, which is the biggest issue. They could get themselves... Yeah. But I, I don't trust any of them. So I'm I'm willing to say that Cowboys, Tigers, Titans, I'm done with. I think Newcastle and Canberra, healthy, are better than the Sharks and the Dragons. Yeah. Um, the, the Dragons, I think, considering yeah. that a lot of people had them as wooden spoon, I did at the start of the year because they just looked horrendous. And where they've got to, the biggest issue now, I guess, is a combination of a few injuries, what's just happened, the suspensions, etc., They've kind of gotten a flat spot, and I don't know if they'll be able to get out of it. They've got that two-game buffer, which might help. And Cronulla, it's just flip a coin. I look at them. They got to that period there, okay. But then to lose to Brisbane, to play as poorly as what they did on the weekend, I'd honestly love to see Canberra get on a bit of a run here. Newcastle get their players back. And I think week one, the games wouldn't be too bad if you had a full-strength Raiders or Newcastle playing the Roosters and Manly. Like, Manly are obviously looking red hot, full strength, but one of those two teams at least full strength against the Roosters in their current predicament, um, that wouldn't be bad for sudden death games. It'd be much better than watching the Sharks limp in or the Dragons roll in, you know. So, but for Newcastle looking... Newcastle, they reckon Safidi will be healthy this week. Bradman Best is still gone until round 24. Jacob Safidi's ankle needs a scan. Mitchell Pearce, they've got out again this week for the time being so yeah dire, dire situation they play the Roosters this week so if Safidi can't play if Ponga doesn't pass the head knock and Pierce doesn't back up that's another loss it, it'd be getting hard and for the Raiders they've obviously got to play the Eels this week that's a tough game we'll get a real good gauge on how much they've turned a corner if any and then you've got the Sharks they dropped their bundle last week but they get to play the Bulldogs That they were no walkover 
for South on the weekend. So hopefully they'll have their hands full. Well, the Bulldogs have already beaten Cronulla. So there you go. Just much like Brisbane. Earlier in the year. Much like the Sharks not beating Brisbane. It's uh, one of those situations. That's for sure. That's, yeah, interesting, but we'll see how that picture... Who's your seven and eight? I think we can... We can knock over our power rankings. Like you got one to six is one to six. Who's your seven and eight? Going off the weekend, I'd probably have Canberra as my seven. Um, not with a lot of faith, but any one two in a row. I, I, if you're going to be serious again, I thought the Dragons were really good in the first half. I thought the second half they just killed themselves. They they completed sixty eight percent for the game. Uh, I thought they're up to it in their eyeballs, but I don't know. I'd probably put them there. I think I think the Sharks things are going backwards, and Newcastle it's just more about health. Yeah, I agree with that. I probably have I probably have the same seven eight. And, and again, like it sounds funny to have Canberra in because a few weeks ago they looked done, but that that's just the picture out of those teams right now. None of them. Yeah, it's more about right now. Yeah, it's it's a week to week prospect. None of them can either string back to back games together, stay healthy, or more so get out of their own way. Not many of them have much of an excuse, yeah. you know. So, yeah. Tackle five as we move on. The Gold Coast. We've had a couple of rants over the years and people are probably sick of hearing about it, but I think it's a fair question at this point in time. A disappointing loss again the other night. Um, you come out of origin. All the players have backed up. You play Parramatta, Moses and Paulo. Don't play. Marnie's back after five weeks off. It's at home. They didn't have to travel. They're one of the only teams that were sort of unaffected. It, it's the, the prime situation. And like they've done a few times this year, um, they've just fallen over. And, you know, they, they made some big signings after having a good finish to the end of last year. Tino hit the ground running. I think he's obviously hit a flat spot. David Fafita's had some games where he's been an absolute world beater. But at the same time, he has too many games where he looks like a bloke that should be playing Q Cup or just doesn't want to be involved. Their spine's obviously an issue, and defensively they still leak like a sieve. So, uh, in in what most people would have expected to be an improvement, especially squad wise this year, followed by performance, it, it really hasn't been. No, it's yeah, exactly right. Yeah, uh, I don't know. What's what's your thoughts? Like, honestly, you, you look at those teams like we just spoke about, an expectation. Like people, some people said the Tigers had expectation. I had no expectation on the Tigers. I really didn't. The Cowboys, I thought, are in a bit of a transition. Newcastle, at least, have had you know a ton of injuries. Well, I know their fans are frustrated. The Warriors, injuries in the bubble. The Broncos, I had no expectation. Nor the Dogs. Like out of all those teams, sort of struggling. Probably the two that have disappointed people more than anyone are the Raiders and the Titans. But. As a Titans fan, like yeah. So we're talk- are we talking about how they adapted to the bubble, or are we talking about how they were? I'm how just, they've been this season. In general, this season, like as a Titans fan, are you disappointed? Like yeah. Sorry, the, the phone the phone cut out a little bit then when you were you were talking originally. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think the Titans and the Raiders are the two. The Raiders had the George Williams situation and some stuff going on off the field. The, the Titans have no excuse. I don't, I don't think. I think they've just performed poorly. Their defence has been horrendous. Uh, you know, we've, we've seen potentially how good they can be because you've seen how damaging Dave Fafita can be. Um, but 
the, the fact of the matter is, is that they bought, they're paying guys elite money for elite performances, and they're getting it inconsistently and sporadically. And that's why they sit where they are on the table. And their defence has been diabolical. Well, so they're, they're the two that, that have been horrendously disappointing. I think Newcastle and the Warriors, like we've just spoken about, they fall into that category of disappointing, but more through bad luck. I'll put it this way. Next uh, year. But I didn't have, I didn't have ex- expectations of the Tigers. I didn't really have expectations of the Cowboys. I thought the Cowboys would probably be where they are. Uh, who else? Who else is it in and around there? Like Back the point. sharks and the dragons. Like I think the sharks and the dragons have probably exceeded expectations for me. Well, the sharks, given what happened with their they're coach, a little, bit, little bit ahead. Like if you were said to me that they're going to be in finals contention, yeah, I guess, I guess they're probably just a, they're a little bit ahead of where I thought they would be. Well, let's put it this way: I thought Newcastle, Canberra, and the Titans would probably be ahead of them, but they're not. November one this year. Recruitment for 2022 spine players. There's two clubs. We've already highlighted one at the start of the show. The Bulldogs need to make some moves for their spine. They've got Burton coming in, but other than that, um, depending on what they do next year, there's talk that they promised Addo Carr to play fullback. I don't know if that is the case or how that's going to pan out, but the Gold Coast in a similar situation. You've got AJ Brimson locked in at fullback. Taylor's going to be gone. Hooker's definitely not sorted, and Fogarty's long-term future, even if he was there for another year or so, like he's 28, 29 years old. So if I said to you, November 1, some of these names that are available, Hooker, both the Braley brothers are available. Uh, you've got Josh Hodson potentially available, Api Corosau, Reid Marnie, Brandon Smith. Like surely a priority is to get onto somebody like that as far as halves are concerned for the year after as well. Uh, it's probably not as big a market. There's a lot of guys there that are probably middle kind of players, 5'8". Mm, there's a little bit more there. Cody Walker, he's obviously older. Young Sullivan from um, the Dragons. Foreign's a bit past it. So even again, look at the halves market for next year. The halves market's not that great either. Mitchell Pearce will be available in 12 months. But would you know, somebody like him relocate to the Gold Coast at this point in career? And is Mitchell Pearce someone you really want to let loose on the Gold Coast? I don't know. <laughs> I'd, love, I'd love him on the Gold Coast. I, I think the one spot I'm looking at here that has plenty of good names next year is Hooker. Oh, sorry, it's not for next year, but to be able to sign for the year on. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's going to be hard to address the halves in particular with the way the market looks at the moment. There's not many halves available. No, you're right. So, so I, don't, I don't know where they go because <clears throat> when is Scott Drew caught off? He just re-signed with the Cowboys. Is he off this year or next year? No, no okay. just re-signed. <clears throat> so, gone. Yeah, he would have been one I would have gone after. Yeah. Like I said, looking at these lists here, the two best names in half. Fog- Fogarty and Taylor are... I don't, I don't mind Fogarty. Like, I, I, could, I could live with persisting with Fogarty because I think he's probably on the right contract from a monetary perspective. I mean, what, what else do you do? Do you go and, do you go and gamble on Anthony Milford? Or, mm. Like, I'd rather gamble on Anthony Milford at 300 than gamble on Ash Taylor at 1.1, put it that way. Uh, yeah, I think they've, they've got to do something. They, 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 have, they have to do something. They can't... This is the times. They, they can't persist with what they've got now. And they've got to do something at nine as well. Well, again, looking at those names that are available... Um, I think Hodgson may be a bit older by the time. They've got to look at Hugh Cup. They've got to look at New South Wales Cup. They've got to go and 
get three or four guys on training trials and just put them in and see how they go. Yeah, and they've got Sexton. They've just extended internally. But again, um, if if that's one the way you're looking, they need to make a move. If finals look like they're out of the reach in the next week or two. How old, how old is Sexton? He's now 19, huh? Uh, he'd probably be 20 by now, but if, if the year's done and they're done with Taylor, they need to start playing. Yeah, I agree. It's a bit like my opinion on the Dragons, which everyone doesn't agree with, that they're in a position to play finals, so he's going to persist with Norman Dufty, etc. But I'm looking going, well, if you're basically admitting by getting rid of them that you're moving on next year, why are we still playing them just to make week one potentially? Like, if you make week one, are you really threatening anyone? Like... I'm looking he at. Might have, he might have a trigger in his contract on uh, that one. Well, I don't know, but I'm looking at Talatau Mone, Jaden Sullivan, Tyrell Sloan right now, and to be honest, no offense to McCulloch, I know he's extended him for a couple of years, but we saw it again from Ben Hunt in Origin. I think Ben Hunt's best spot's nine. Like if even yeah, just ben even Murray. just to have a look at maybe a Mone and Sullivan, is is it crazy to think you're going to put your future on three 19 year olds? Yeah, it probably is, but given where they're at. I think you could do much worse. I think McCulloch is serviceable, but are you going to be a threat why he's at nine in the new style of game? I don't think so. Uh, you've got Hunt for two more years. Are you going to keep blocking out Amone and Sullivan at the risk of losing one of them long-term? Like, Sullivan's off next year. Amone's obviously in for a few years now, but I just think if that's your future, start looking at it. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. And the final tackle to wrap up, which has been a hefty set of six for this week, is the bubble mindset. And I think it was summed up on the weekend. You messaged me before um, how everyone thinks it was going to be handled by the players. There was no bigger summary of Newcastle and Melbourne. You've got Melbourne, who's been in and out all year and last year, got moved back up to the sunny coast. It was supposed to be a two-week stay, turned into an eight-week stay got back home for barely a week, had guys in and out of origin camp, had to relocate, had the origin guys literally fly home and within 24 hours be told to pack their bags, head back up again to Queensland. And then you've got the Newcastle side of things where Adam O'Brien has, you know, a bit of a chat in his press conference after, basically saying that, you know, it's a disturbed week and preparation, this, that and the other. Um, I honestly think that the bubble might bring down a few teams. And I said as much last week, like, say what you will, and some said, well, Melbourne got to set up camp and they're used to it and their family's got to come eventually, rah, 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 but it's still not being at your home base. It's still not playing in front of your home fans. It's still not the same as being at your own home and having your own freedoms and having your kids to school and being locked in with your families. and part. Like, You get no time and space. So they're well and truly acclimatised to this. The Warriors are well and truly set up for this. I think a team like Penrith will be fine in the bubble because they're such a young team. So a lot of those guys will probably enjoy the time together. A lot of them at this point don't have uh, as, as much, I guess, responsibility in terms of families and kids. And a few of them are younger and do, but I think for a young side, it can be quite enjoyable. Um, but yeah, I, I think the bubble for some teams 
is probably going to be a struggle for the back end of the year if they stay there. Yeah, look, it looks like um, it'll, it'll be a good thing for Canterbury. You know, they, they look like they, they played really well last night. I think they've been good for the majority of the, the last sort of six weeks. But, jeez, uh, like it didn't really suit Newcastle. I mean, the, the teams that are under pressure, that aren't playing well and have got injuries, like it's going to be a struggle, isn't it? Um, particularly once they're then ruled out of finals. Um, I think, like, a side like the Tigers, I think it would be good for the Tigers because they're all together. It, it should focus them a little bit more. Uh, yeah, I, I find it really, really interesting how how the dynamic of the competition is going to change based on, on the bubble. I think you're spot on. Like the Warriors and Melbourne are the two that are set up probably the best because they had to do it for the majority of last year. Mm. Melbourne have done it for periods this year as well. So they're, they're probably the two. I think it's a huge advantage for Melbourne. 100%. Based on that they're already like a dominant side and then throwing on top now they're going to go back into that bubble environment where they were so successful last year. Like It's going to feel like almost Groundhog Day for them. They've been they're, the, they're going to eat it up. They've been the gypsies. I think the, the thing for Penrith... Look, I agree with what you said. Like, I think they'll, they'll be fine, Penrith, uh, in terms of the day-to-day. It'll just be not having that home field, getting used to not playing in Sydney. Uh, that, I think that side of it, a lot of those guys have got young families, so mm. I, I, you know, whether, whether they've actually travelled up, because a lot of those boys are young, like they, they probably don't have a lot of family around them. And I don't know that for sure, but, you know, if you've got a young family and, you know, a lot of your, your support is local, like here in Penrith, a lot of those players probably went up alone. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can see two sides that pending, you know, if they have come up or they stay with family, but the majority of them being young, I'm not saying it won't play on their mind, but in those sort of environments, much like when I played 20s, like young blokes love travelling together, being together, so I think... The core group, depending on that side of things, could really benefit. Um, I think for like a side like yeah, Canberra, Canberra were I just lucky. Don't think at the at the expense of family time. And no, no. Those commitments in a family. Yeah, and I think um, they're still not up there. I don't think all the families. I think the Sydney families had to wait an extra week or so. I'm not sure if everyone's there just yet. Mm. Obviously, Canberra were different. The border hadn't closed yet, so Canberra I think is perfect timing. They've had. A lot of drama, a lot going on. They get to galvanise in camp. Their families were able to go. So I think they're another team that would probably suit. And even last year, they had a hard as well. Like They didn't have to fly in, fly out as much, but a lot of bus trips, a lot of long days, a lot of waiting around. So, um, yeah. yeah, I think for a few of those sides, it's probably a good thing. But Newcastle probably, yeah. with a definition of what we're talking about in terms of bubble mindset where... Melbourne had any excuse to play poorly, not rest, arrest some players, three or four guys missing anyway. A few guys went off at half-time, and you've got Newcastle who have gone up. They've obviously missed Pierce, Safidi, and a few other guys, but they just they weren't there for it. They really weren't. No, and you know what? I think Adam, Adam O'Brien has manipulated this exactly how he would have wanted. He's, he's taken all the pressure off and blamed himself. Yeah. The media has then come in and they're kicking the shit out of him like he's played it really well he's experienced moves 
from an inexperienced coach because all, all the pressure is now on him. Like he's copping all the yep. all the kicks, and it's not on the players. So the players need to back him up and put in a good performance this weekend. Yeah, he's done the Wayne Bennett special. <laughs> Yep, he has. He served one up for the media to attack him or say, well, what about what he said, this, that, and the other? Uh, but realistically, it was yep. a good smother for the whole situation. Yeah, they, they fell for a hook on the sinker as well. Oh, yes. And that wraps us up for the set of six. Like we said, a bit more in-depth this week with the two shows and our power rankings we gave to you before, essentially the top six and those last two, and that was brought to you by the Penrith Solar Centre, there is no one better. They say defence is the best offence, but what defence do you have in place against the situation of rising power bills? Penrith Solar Centre is the one you should have. They are the leading solar specialist in Western Sydney, and while you have little control over the outcome of your team, they are devoted to giving you back control of your power bills. Let the sun work for you, your home, and your back pocket. Give them a call today on 1800 20 or visit the website www.penrithsolar.com.au and they can make you a real winner today. Reviews of the games from the weekend. Eels-Titans, 26-8. to um, Basically, what we spoke about before, no Paulo, no Moses. Read back after five weeks out. I really thought it was a good opportunity for the Titans, um, especially backing up their origin players. But, um, you know, a, a bit of a tussle for 20 minutes, but that sin bin effectively killed the game. Once that sin bin happened with that Proctor tackle, and I think Herbert was the other one involved, Parramatta just rolled straight up the middle. Three tries in five minutes. They tore him to shreds. Dylan Brown, really dominant in this game without Moses. I, I think he looks better almost when he's in control. It, it made him run the ball. I think they played a lot more squarer off the back of that. Marnie really enjoyed getting it off the back of the play of the balls. Gutherson was his usual busy self. Madison, after the head knock and, and a long time off, played one of his best games. He had seven offloads. Brown, um, their pack as a whole. So, But yeah, that, that sin bin effectively ruined the game. And I think they were disappointing in the second half. I think Arthur would have wanted him to be a bit more ruthless. But from a Titans perspective, uh, a, a big letdown. Did you think it was a sin bin? I thought it was a bad tackle. I, I don't think they were looking essentially to do what they did. I think they both grabbed a leg and didn't really know what the other was doing, but he did go directly on his head. Mm. I, didn't. I thought he contributed to it a little bit as well. Like the, the tackle was pretty close to the ground. Like they were sort of, he was already, already trying to find his front and they're sort of gone underneath him a little bit. So I think just the position of the tackle actually contributed to how bad it looked to Man, I wasn't sure it was a sin bin. I'm comfortable with it, provided that they're consistent, but they're not. Yeah, so, that's, that's the word, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, all in all, I probably, I probably wasn't comfortable with it because of the impact it had on the game. But Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're right. The middles for Parada were the difference. They just rolled through, and Reed Marty was unreal, man. That was, I think you said the two, um, Reed Marty and, and Matto, they were, they were outstanding. They just dominated the game and the Titans never really looked in it. I, I didn't think at any stage the Titans really threatened and looked like they were going to win it at all. Mm. I think they also played more square, which is something I think Parramatta struggle with at times with Moses and Gutherson when they're yeah, there together. In particular, Moses. Moses loves to push the ball sideways and he doesn't engage and inside defenders can just release and it's pretty easy to defend. But I think with Brown there steering the ship because he's more of a threat to run the ball and he had... 
probably more control over what was going on. They, they just played straighter in general, and a lot of the forwards got off the back of it, and Marnie, first game in five weeks in particular, really got off the back of it. So, one to uh, keep your eyes on, but I guess on the flip side, we spoke about it. Titans disappointing, but in particular, uh, it's one of those games, again, where a guy like Dave Fafita, he, he needs to get involved. I know essentially you want to get him the ball more so on his edge but when it's not coming to you when you're getting paid that sort of money you need to find the game yeah couldn't, couldn't agree more not agree more I, I, there's got to be more to it there's got to be something going on whether he's injured or he's got off field issues yeah they need to get the bottom to the bottom of it pretty quickly because it's been an underwhelming debut season and it, Quite frankly, he's not—he's not playing up to the to the value that that, that purchased him. No, I think when he's when he's good, he's worth every cent. But when he's not, and in games like this against good sides, he needs to make a, a significant impact. Yeah, and based on the percentage of the salary cap that he's chewing into. This is the argument I've had with people who say, "Well, he scored thirteen times this season." He's the highest try scoring forward, this, that, and the other. I'm like, but yeah, look, I don't care about try scoring. Yeah, yeah. But look at the games he's done that in. This is my argument last year when people were telling me Johnson was the best halfback in the comp. They didn't beat a top eight side. Like Ponga, at times when he shreds someone, again, who's not a top eight side. Like if you want to be an elite player, if you're going to get paid elite money, you deliver in big games. And I'm not saying it's all on you, but even if you can't win a game, you need to an effect, have an effect on the result. And he didn't. So when they play a Melbourne, yeah. a Penrith, a Parramatta, etc., if you're on $1.2 million or $1 million, you need to be the best player on the field in those games. Yeah. For your team. You need to be the best player for your team. Exactly. Yeah. And that's more the point. I'm not saying they have to force results. Like, you're paying, he's not. but you need to be the best player, and he's not the best player in those games. And that's the bigger issue when you pay that sort of money. Mm. All right. Manly, Dragons... I thought this was a really good game up until probably mid-second half. The first half was great. There was plenty of feeling. They got stuck into each other. thought the forward packs really got at each other. Um, you know, some of the tries, some of the football in general was really good. The, the, the play where... I thought, it was the, uh, I thought it was the return to the old-school Kieran Foran game. Oh, yes. That was uh, vintage Foran, wasn't it? They kept saying on the TV, vintage Foran, but I honestly don't think he's gone away from the way he played. I, I just think he's... The, how, no, he hasn't. How, how many games... Get, how many games has he played in a row this year? He get the dominant share of the ball. Yep. But also on that point, is this the longest streak of games he's put together in the last three or four years? It'd have, it have to be. And I said that to someone yesterday who yeah. looked at me and said, that's a good point. I'm like, well, tell me the last time he's strung together maybe three or four games, let alone probably ten. Mm. Um, you know, you yep. get you get more confidence in your body. You get your time, like all those things. It was like the Tyron May thing we talked about the other. Week, and people were like he was terrible at half. Well, if you haven't played a full game at halfback in three years, it's it's pretty hard to play well. Yeah, it is. If you get rhythm, particularly particularly when there's not a lot of lower grade footy going on, so you, you can't go back and hone your craft there. No, and that's why I look at someone like Foran, and, and so you, you don't lose your ability to play. But if you're not consistently on the field or consistently healthy, you're always starting from square one again. This is the first time in... Yeah, and, and also, you're playing with a half who's the dominant, dominant player in DCE. Mm. 
So I, I think it's a combination of obviously they're going really good, their forward pack's going outstanding, but I think this would be the first time in God knows how long he's strung together. You know, maybe 10 plus games, or he might have missed one or two this year. I can't remember off the top of my head, but he's been the healthiest he's been. He's looking really good, and he played a massive hand in this performance. But um, it was it was an even game in the first half. They fired shots at each other. The Sloan try that they came up with off the back of the Kerr offload, Hunt and Bird, really good footy. Uh, the other side of the field, Olakuatu, the damage that he created. First try, just early ball, gets numbers in offloads for Harper. Then the second one, same deal. Just get him early ball and just bullies a couple of guys. And second half... Yeah, I thought Corey, Corey Norman's defence was horrendous oh, on him. He was terrible. And w- Willie Arme is a big man. He bumped Willie Arme off like a fly screen, uh, just a fly bouncing off the windshield. Um, I, I was really impressed by him. And then Schuster's return... Second half, they just tore him to shreds. They jumped that short side. Schuster has that real threat, just being a big body and playing halves coming through the juniors where you have to be accountable for him. So he can drag in centres, wingers, get people a bit off camber. He created numbers there. The Parker line off that late like cross play where he hit the hole, that was good footy. Um, just in general, that, they had a, a real good time. And like, the, the Cust try sums up. Everything for me, just an effort play. Some people question the grounding. I thought he had fingers in the ball. I didn't have a problem with it. So, um, good result for them. And the Dragons late came up with another corker where Sloan chased that kick down. But the summary here, if you're going to complete at 68%, make 15 errors and miss almost 50 tackles, in particular the second half, they just poured petrol on themselves, the Dragons, you're not going to win. They did, yeah. I thought the, the try that you just mentioned, that Brad Parker try was... Like that, that was the real old school forearm where you know he, he squared up on a guy dragged him um, the back row ran like sort of an outline yeah and the fullback instead of sort of straightened back up like it was just uh, sorry the centre instead of sort of sweeping behind the back row straightened back up through the hole like it was such a nice play really underrated play the tempo from foreign and just the short passing um, unreal but yeah you're right there the Dragons, I think they led 14-12 at half-time and just torched themselves second half. But, I tell you what. Uh, Manly, big win for Manly, particularly the week before. They they looked really disjointed and then DCE pulled out late and they had no Tommy and no Jake, but yeah, big win. I'm looking now at Manly as a bigger threat off the development of Olaka R2 and getting Schuster back because it's at the start of the year, obviously, they're missing Tommy. Their forward pack was going horrendous. So, like I said, you can't put it all just down to Tommy. Their forward pack has turned that around. Tapao is playing outstanding. Paseca, Kepi and all of these guys, they're doing their job. So, they're moving to the middle. You've got development from Croker, who was naturally a running half, who's now manipulating rucks, and he's quick enough to get out and run. His service has gotten a lot, lot better. You've got foreign back in better form, along with DC, and then you've got the weapon that is Tom at the back. But the one thing I did question a little bit was their edges are okay. Harper, Parker, these guys are solid, you know, but you introduce a Schuster, and now in Olakowatu, you don't just have standard back rows. You don't have a guy that runs an in-and-out line and makes his tackle. You have two more legitimate weapons that also don't need to be created for. They don't need to be put into a hole. They don't need damage done on the inside. Like, they created stuff off the back of Olakowatu and Schuster on the weekend from just throwing them early ball because they are run past threats, like... 
Schuster can genuinely. Oh, I'm, I'm really, I'm ready to see him play good side. Like, oh. they, I thought they played Penrith really, really well earlier in the year. I think they play Manly in a week or two. Uh, sorry, they play Melbourne in a week or two. That's going to be really, really good. Yeah, I just like the fact that we're seeing an emergence of another side that can sort of compete and it's going to make the finals interesting. Well, here you go for a couple of games. In round 20, we get Melbourne Panthers, which will be great. And we get Roosters, Eels, even though the Roosters are down on some troops. It's just good to have some good matchups. You get Newcastle Raiders fighting for the eight. And then in round 21... You get Raiders Dragons fighting again for the eight, South Parramatta for a battle of the top four, Roosters Panthers, and you get Manly Melbourne. So round twenty one is the one to look forward to. Yeah, well. But I look at that. I just look at Manly objectively now from a coaching perspective and think they've built it from the ground up. Like I was worried about depth, worried about you know having Tommy on the field, not having a nine. I think they've developed a pretty solid nine now. Their halves are going well. Their edge back rows were okay, but now with these two in, they just bring a completely different dynamic. Not only their forward pack doesn't need to be doing a job for you to throw a ball to a Schuster at Olakuatu and be a threat. They don't need to be put into a hole. They don't need things constructed for them. Olakuatu ticks so many boxes from a finesse point of view as well. He's got great hands. He's got a pass. They used him on a sweet line. They've used him on... like That first try was legit. There's nothing doing. Long ball... He bumps two or three blokes. He gets traffic in. Pops a beautiful pass. Schuster. Long ball. Gets into the line. Skips across the back row. Center gets itchy because he's a big body. Hands creates a two-on-one. Like, if you have those sort of threats also in your back row with a good middle, put Tommy back at the back and a, and a pair of good halves, you're a genuinely good side. And I really do think that's the underrated part of this manly side. Those two back rows, if they stay healthy on the run-in, are going to be a huge X factor for Manly. Yeah, I agree. Uh, for the Dragons, they rested some of those players for this game. Um, we're in the fight, but obviously didn't get the job done. You know, Hunt, I think, from backing up, it was a hard night, but he had his moments. Sloan in game number two uh, had some moments as well, but again, errors are what killed him. And in particular, a lot of them were from their veterans in the second half, so uh, they move on. They play the Titans this week, which is critically important. They probably win this one, uh, given their situation and having the Panthers coming up in a, another hard game against South. So th- this is a game they're going to need to win. Yep. Yeah, it's a must win. Yeah. Roosters-Cowboys. Uh, daylight footy, awesome. And, man, they started with a bang. The, the Roosters, a couple errors and caught a bit off guard. Uh, they essentially both had the same game plan. The Roosters obviously wanted to go after Dearden's edge and attack Dearden, and the Cowboys, no surprise, wanted to attack Sam Walker. Um, Drinkwater, his first two tries, his impact on that game off the back of their forward pack and the possession, outstanding. The, the first dummy half play, get down the short side after going open and turning the players inside out to drop that pass in, and then the second time, just skipping across field, isolating the big back row and putting the footwork on to put the hammer away. It was a bit of a shock to see them jump up 12-0, but no surprise, the Roosters, when they settled, got a few of those errors out of the game, got Crichton onto the field, uh, just settled into their work, and at the back end of the half, just sort of chipped away at that edge again that they've had problems with. Um, you know, did and O'Neill, late inclusion, etc., and picked them apart. Manu with a simple... Try and Crichton on play five with the winger back. They punch through and Hutchison on play five. They run it again. It just 
it all seemed to unfold too easily. And the second half, you know, didn't quite go to plan for the Cowboys, I guess. They had a, a patch there where they got it back to 18-all and had three six-agains in a row, which was questionable that the Roosters didn't have someone put in the bin. And the game kind of flipped on the back of that. You have drink water try to reach out for that try, and then he got burned in defence, and the Roosters from there pretty much just ran away with it. Yeah, two weeks in a row where the Cowboys have jumped out, punched the opposition in the face, and, but the opposition hasn't panicked. South settled and racked up some points the week before in Newcastle, and this week the, the Roosters didn't respond to that scoreboard pressure at all. As you said, they just dusted themselves off and executed what they wanted to. And but totally agree with your opening statement. At the footy, it was it was a really entertaining game. This one, I, I enjoyed watching it. And it's just like I know the Cowboys were disappointed afterwards, but they contributed to what was a good game of footy. And the Roosters, by no means, played poorly and won. Like they, the Cowboys really extended them. Mm. So. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be thinking the world's falling apart if I was. I was the Cowboys. Um, I know they want to win, but yeah, they've been beaten by two pretty good sides in South and the Roosters. Like last week, they fell apart. This week, they didn't fall apart. They fought right to the death, and they were in it. So I guess it's just been able to sort of uh, not take advantage of those twelve-point leads, but when you get to sort of a two-try lead making sure that you're the next to score or not just getting in that mindset. It's not not they get in the mindset of trying to protect that lead, but you, you, you do feel a little bit more comfortable when you're up by 12 or a couple of tries. So it's about being a little bit ruthless. Yeah. Scoreboard footy and what's working, executing it and making sure you're not going away from those little things that have put you in that position. And that's what young footy sides do. Uh, and they're... You know, they're young in, in some positions and inexperienced in some positions, but, yeah, they'll, they'll get there. Yeah, I think hard game, like we said again, and defensively is their big issue. I think we've seen some good moments in attack, and again, they're the other day. Hey, oh, they're horrible around their halves, and I think, again, having a multitude of combinations and some guys, they've swapped in and out different back rows, different centre wing combinate. Like, you need stability in those positions, but particularly since Dearden's come in, they've really gone after that edge. And Drinkwater, why he contributed so much in attack in this game, he missed nine tackles. Like, that's the pro and con of having him in the front line. I think he wants to play that position. He's so good running the football and creatively, and in particular has a really good short kicking game in the attacking end. But defensively, he's a liability. He really is. Yeah. Like You can't miss nine tackles in first grade. And it was a dry track. It's not a wet night game in the dew where you've been put under pressure on your inside and your outside, you've got to make a decision. Like, on a dry track on a good day, nine missed tackles. Like, he, he puts points on the board, but defensively, um, yeah, he, he can be a real liability. But for the Roosters, you talk about troops again and just pushing on through. No Tedesco. Manu was absolutely outstanding again. He was awesome. Walker, again, no surprise. He's getting picked on in defense. What do you expect? He's an 18-year-old kid, but in attack... Just still, like, well well ahead in years. And that last try probably summed it up for me. Dummy half, Radley line break. He holds the ball. He cuts back in field. He sees Satillion dummy half, pushes him out, basically like, no way, mate. No fucking way. A back row is getting a dummy half next play. Uses him as a dummy. Throws a decoy. Four guys blight on it. Just dips in behind and scores. Yeah. Just 
well ahead of his years, but I tell you what, he fucking needs to work on his goal kicking. True. Um, True. That was 34 points. They scored seven tries. Like they, they left a lot on the table. And I, a lot of people read into a comment from Flanagan, I think he did that game, about goal kicking. And I, I listened to it. He didn't make any reference to his son, but typical clickbait. People made a reference like that was a sly comment. It's not a sly comment. It's true. He didn't reference Kyle. They literally need someone to take the goal kicking. Um, that's... Yeah, he'll, he'll get there. He just, I think it's more his body. Like he seems to not be able to get the legs, whether it's under fatigue. I think it's more that. He, from those wider kicks, like he struggles to get the distance. He's heavily beaten up at the moment. We know that. So it is difficult to kick goals when you're under fatigue. I can speak from experience in that regard. Like it's, it's hard work. Maybe he just needs to take some more time. Well, I think, or, or, you know, implement it, implement it into his training. I, I used to do a lot of like, conditioning and then kick, kick while under fatigue. Yeah. I'll tell you what, I think their, their but, best... You know, I sort of had coaches who were aware of it as well. Yeah, their best option goal-kicking-wise is Adam Kieran, but he unfortunately doesn't make the 13. So yeah. he's, a, he's a hell of a goal-kicker, and I think he's a good player. They use him a little bit as a dummy half and as a bench utility. But unless they thought that he was a better option than Hutchinson to play in the six, which clearly they don't, and that's the thing about players like Hutchinson, he's been in that system for a few years now. They know what he what he is. They obviously like him, and that's why he gets that job. And I thought he was solid again, um, alongside Walker. Radley's returns obviously made a difference. You've got Crichton's impact off the bench in this game was immense. He came on after about twenty something minutes. He he's a fantastic footballer. Um, yeah, there was a lot of good players, but. The Cowboys, like I said, Drinkwater was great, but that on the defensive side, it just so much pain for what you get good in attack. It, he can really hurt you defensively. The Hammer had some really good moments again. Still crazy to think that he's so young. Tumbalolo consistent as always, and uh, Robson, Robson, one of the real bright sparks all season. Scored a nice try. Always dangerous out of there and made sixty tackles. Yeah. Raiders Sharks. Yeah, he was good. Raiders Sharkies, uh, Josh Hanna did not pull any punches when he commented about this game. That's for sure. That they basically. No, nor should he. Nor should he. They, they were poor. No, he's 100% right. Like 61 missed tackles is one thing, but a stat we don't talk about a lot. And again, we're not big on stats unless they quantify something, but 61 misses is already fucking huge. But then they had 32 ineffective tackles, which is essentially. You know, just shit contact, not stopping the ball, not stopping an offload. Like, Canberra offloaded 22 times to three. Yeah. It's, it's as bad as yeah, missing... Canberra's offloading stuff this year have been nowhere near that. No. Nah. And they made their forward pack look like an absolute bunch of world beaters in this game. Yeah, they did. Mm. They were beyond poor. Beyond poor, the, the Sharkies. And some really poor inside shoulder misses, like you said, offloads... It just led to line breaks. And yeah, second efforts, broken defensive yeah, they, lines. They scrappy, they look distracted. I don't know how to describe that performance. It's a head scratcher as a coach. I think the one upside if you're a Raiders fan is obviously, I think that's the most energetic they've looked. They, they still had some flaws. They still had some poor moments defensively on their edges and a couple of, couple of bad errors. But in terms of energy, punch, getting into the line, push, the offloads, like the support play... Um, 
yeah, that the Gula, Gula getting some minutes under his belt now, starting to look healthy. You know, Tapine off the bench. Rapana played his probably best game, I think, or one of his best. He's been off with the fairies for some time now, but, uh, you know, the, the, the dynamic also of having Hodgson push out and play basically as a half, I think he looks better there for them at the moment. They need that help. It frees up Starling to work the ruck. They kind of work in a tandem. And, and the young bloke they've just put in, Savage, ain't the crazy part for me is I've looked at him through ball and the junior reps. I don't think he's played much fullback. He's mostly been named on the wing. So I don't know if he came to them as a fullback and ended up playing wing centre majority of the time, but he's made a hell of an impact from the back end of the field, working off those offloads and just floating around. Yeah, well, apparently he ran under 11 seconds, so he's, uh, in football terms, he's fast. Yeah, and you know what, like he's, what, how many games is that? It's three games now in first grade? No, I think it's only game number two. Well, it's game two, there you go. So, like, he's matured even straight away, like, in, in his second week. I, I thought it was his third, but, yes, yeah, no, second week in. Mm. And he's looking more and more comfortable. He, and fullback, you don't just get an engine... Uh, straight away playing in the NRL with a fullback like he's he's going to get better he's going to have more energy he's going to be sharper for longer periods the more he plays there and yeah is, is Nick Clockstart gone for the year are they saying he's yeah he's going to be back later on nah that next surgery essentially was him done gone yeah yeah okay well it's good it's a good opportunity for Savage to cement a position there and see what happens going forward it's that old adage, some people say, you know, you're one injury away from being a bad side, but sometimes you're one injury away from being a good side because it gives the young kid an opportunity to play and you be on earth one. It looks like they've done that. Well, I think all the changes have ended up being a positive at the end. They were probably too pass-heavy, too sideways, overplaying things through the middle, whereas with the way the rules have gone and the game has gone, getting Starling more in there, Getting Hodgson out to help the ball players. Savage is more of a runner. Jack's more of a runner. Like Sammy Williams will run when the opportunity possesses itself, but he, he doesn't hold onto the ball or dick around with it. He generally gives early ball or he, he drops someone inside. I think they've just really simplified the way they play and they're relying more off their forward pack, which should have been the focal point from the start to, you know, bust up, get some second phase and play off the back of it. And I've just looked here. Because Savage played in that SG Ball Grand Final this year, he didn't even play fullback there. He was on the wing. Yeah, he's been up there. So, which is good because it means you know, moving, you know, in the next year, they've got an option not only for a one, but if Clockstar comes back and they're happy that you know he can play the wing. Yeah, I think he looks a hell of a player. Like you said, you, you don't get. An engine under overnight. They said he had a huge preseason, so clearly he's got a hell of a lot of talent and can play maybe in all three positions in the back line. But watching him early doors, he threw a nice pass off the ground to set up one of the tries. He pushed through that hole when Papali had the offload and busted him up and threw the pass for Starling. He got to score one when Chris got the error off Muli Talo and tipped one on, which was a nice moment for him. But uh, huge for a 19 year old, game number two, almost 250 metres, couple of assists, a line break. Um, he was he was absolutely everywhere and he very very dangerous on his carries like I said along with Rapana and a couple of those forwards had a really big night Harawira Naira had his best game of the year as well he was outstanding 
Yeah. So some good signs. Um, we hope they haven't left it too late. They've let themselves down with a few results prior where we thought that was the end of them. But again, they've got the adrenaline needle out and stabbed themselves in the leg and they've got a pulse, the Canberra Raiders. But for Cronulla, you know, they were well and truly out of it. And again, highlighted by their completion rate, errors and, and the tackles, 61 misses, 32 ineffectives. Johnson in particular didn't have a great night. He missed nine. A lot of the forwards missed four or five apiece. Ramian, for the threat that he is in attack, his defensive decisions are quite poor. He was very dangerous when he had the ball, but he missed six himself. Um, they're hard to get a read on at the moment, Cronulla. Big time. Yeah, big time. Yeah. They're um, good when you think they're going to struggle, and they're bad when you think you start to get a little bit of confidence in them, aren't they? Yeah. It's probably the best way to sum them up. The best, I guess, of a bad bunch. Yeah, uh, I agree with you there. When you put your faith in them or think you've seen enough, like the Brisbane game, they let you down. And then at other times when you probably steer away from a little bit, they show a lot more than what you expect. Yeah. But, uh, moving on from that one, this next game doesn't need a whole lot of explanation. Melbourne 48-4. to um, The first 15-20, I think Newcastle dodged a few bullets more. I think Melbourne were a little bit too keen. They pushed their hand a little bit, but... They were rolling upfield easily. They were getting six agains. Cheese was getting a dummy half at will. They were breaking tackles, offloading. But uh, after absorbing a little bit there, Newcastle, it just all got too much. And from the 20-minute mark or so onwards, it just turned into an absolute savaging. They conceded five tries before half halftime. Uh, the early try, obviously, sorry, in the first patch was Olam off the scrum where he literally drove a truck through a gap there, but after that it was just fair game. They picked them apart, both edges. They rolled through their middle. Hughes in particular had an absolute field day. Hines off the back of the dominant forward pack, just picking and choosing his moments, when to run and his pass selection. Absolutely outstanding and, uh, you know, got to a situation where Hughes had a knock. They got him off. They rested their origin players. They were missing a few guys still as well. Um, And they finished the game with Brandon Smith playing at halfback and, and Booth and that a couple of guys came on but it, it was no worry at all it was their yeah, 11th shoulder. yeah he popped it out and kept going because they couldn't get him off nope and um, another debutant for Melbourne a Penrith boy and a Dommies boy Jordan Grant mm-hmm. he was uh, I think two two or three years younger than me I played with his brother at Dom's he was same age as me but a year ahead he played some junior reps, but another one of those stories of persistence. Jordan Grant was 27 years old. He's played at Penrith, Parramatta, West Tigers, played Cup there, moved to Queensland Cup, played for Mackay, Redcliffe, uh, you know, had a sniff at a few systems and then got the chance with Sunny Coast and Melbourne this year. And, uh, you know, one of those stories, again, of real good persistence where for seven years he's been a really, really good Cup player and waiting for his chance and he, and he got it. Newcastle and 
Dallas Corners for fun at times, yeah. Yeah. I guess the the only real big question, because the result was a fate of complete and they absolutely bludgeoned to death, is Heinz or Pappenhausen. Like, it's, it's, it's got to a point where you've watched Heinz play now with his spine and the combinations they've built up over this period, and it's essentially going to be 10 weeks by the time we see Pappenhausen again. Like, do they go straight back to Pappenhausen? Do they start him as the 14 and ease him back? I, I, I genuinely think there's a question here about do you jump straight back to Pappenhausen? Well, you go with a hot hand, though, huh? Well, I would have thought similar. Did, and did if, Pappenhausen earn the right just to walk straight back in? Well, he did win a Clive Churchill medal, he but... He did. Oh, he was... He won the... Yeah. I'm just... Year, oh. They've re-signed him, so he knows his future's guaranteed, but the way they're going right now, and mm. I, I just... I look at the flow of things and think, if we've been going like this for 10 weeks, we've won 14 games in a row, we've got 11-plus games by 40 points, they've just broken the record for the most points scored in 17 rounds since, I think, they set a Roosters yeah. team of 80-something years ago, like... I think Pappenhausen's outstanding player, and they offer different points of difference, but Pappenhausen, speed-wise, run-threat-wise, through the ruck on the edge of those shapes is super dangerous. Nico can't get into space as much as what, say, a Pappenhausen does, but the fact he's played as a junior half, his pass selection is probably much more you know, selective, and he's got a different touch, and he's taking advantage of what the forward pack's doing in front of him. So I think... I, I, I still think that Pappenhausen obviously is their preference long term because at the same time when everyone's, when everyone's saying that Nico Hines is better or oh my god like how don't you keep him you've got to remember this is a guy who's mid-20s who's been at three clubs prior like a lot of what got to do with this I'm not saying it's all the system but it, he's playing in a pretty good team they've done a really good job coaching him building him back up getting him in this state where he's at absolute peak confidence and he's clearly clearly confident in his abilities and they've done an outstanding job to get him to the point where he's at right now but like you as a coach after 10 weeks now if they're going in this direction it's still going I'd be inclined to have Pappenhausen as my 14 yeah I think short term that's, that's the right way to go because come the end of the year if Pappenhausen is back to full health and available then you want him playing one because Nico can cover more positions at 14 oh 100% so you're a better football side you're a better football side with Pappenhausen fully fit at one with Hines on the bench as your 14 but right now it's not fair on Pappenhausen to just try and straight back in and expect him to be you know what he was when he before he got concussed because that's then just going to raise questions around, well, you should never have moved him. Nico Hines is a better one. Have him made the right decision long-term, etc., etc. So you need to protect your player from that. So I, I, Pappenhausen would go back to 14 for me, and I put him into games where, into situations where you know he's going to be successful and not under a lot of pressure and don't give him a lot of teams to sort of do a lot of responsibility just just getting back into the game getting as many minutes as you can in good situations build his confidence back up ahead of the finals mm. and I think there's a genuine question now from a lot of people have they made the right decision and I, I keep going back to well let's not go too crazy again because if it was that cut and dry that Nico Hines was as good as he is he well, would to also go back to when the decision was made yeah he wasn't playing consistently 
he's mid twenties or so. He's been at Manly. He's been at Queensland Cup. He's been multiple clubs, and you know this this environment has obviously been the perfect place to build him up. The decision to not not sign is the decision to not sign Pappenhausen and to sign Hines. Because if you sign both of them, you're still going to have the same problem. Mm. And I think he knew, cut and dry, he was going to get an opportunity elsewhere. And if he stayed at Melbourne, he's not going to yeah. play. Because they've clearly made the investment in the younger guy, who's also won a Clive Churchill medal and proved himself to him. So they got the job done there. But in hindsight now, looking at it, I know a lot of people are bringing it up. But I'm more looking at it going, well, you won't get a real gauge until he goes to Cronulla and even then I think it's going to be hard because he's going to be playing in a completely different team and he's going to be playing in the halves yeah. so I don't know if you can compare it but um, I think again people are quick to forget what Pappenhausen's done definitely so different players definitely. sure yeah. but he's, it's a Clive yeah it's a Clive Churchill medalist here we're not talking about just a bloke he's played a little bit of fullback exactly so uh, but yeah for now for the rest of this year, you've got him locked in. If if they're playing well and his connection with the spine has been incredible, they just seem to all be on the same page. I, I'd keep going with him for the time being. Yeah, I agree. Uh, for Newcastle, not a whole lot to say. Um, again, didn't play with Pierce, didn't have Safidi, lost Jacob, lost Ponga during the game. Um, it was not a great night. And plain and simple, if, if they can't keep those guys on the field the next few weeks, their season's over. Yep. They're um they're in dire straits. Hundred percent. Panthers Warriors, um, I don't think this one needs a lot, but I will give full credit to the Warriors in the situation they were in. They lost three players by the fifteenth minute. Sheck obviously got KO'd. Harris Torrey's ACL. Egan looks like he's out for the season with a shoulder. So you're immediately down to one player and then at the back end of the half after holding on under duress and actually been pretty solid. Um, in moving the ball upfield and, and really damaging through Fenua Blake and Lodge. Lodge's ball play and offloads. He he may pushed it a little bit at times, but seven offloads, ten tackle breaks doesn't lie. He had a huge game. Um, they lose Berry after he scored a quality try, and you know he's showed some really good signs. And they start the second half with no one on the bench, which I'm not going to open the can of worms fully. But I said at the time, the 18th man rule to have to require three HIAs to access a player or foul play to me is bullshit. Like, you want to talk about player welfare. If you've lost all of your bench by the start of the second half and you're going to ask middles in particular and a team to just go 40 minutes without any more injuries or any more issue, surely if your bench is cleared, you can access your 18th man. You would think so. That, that makes complete sense. I don't really see how that's an advantage to a team. And again, stupid fucking things that people bring up. Like, it's a tactic. Like, mate, it's it's the worst situation possible. A knockout, two season getting injuries, and a young bloke tearing his hamstring, and you've got 40 minutes to go with no one else. And if someone else gets hurt, then what? We just make them play with 12, do we? And get the arse handed to them? Like, yeah. Well, this, this goes back to the argument about it originally, like... They act like this 18th man is such a secret weapon. Like, it's, it was that good to pick them in the team anyway. Exactly. And we said exactly that at the start. Like, it's it's not some... Not everyone's stash and players. Like, you pick a 17 for a reason, and the reason your bench generally changes at times is because, same deal, you, you've got your best 13, and then some of those guys are 50-50 propositions on a week-to-week. Not everyone has someone stashed at 18th man that you could secretly activate or throw into a game. So, um, it obviously really hampered them. They were... 
hell brave. They defended the line. Penrith was still a bit clunky, obviously, with the spine changes. Um, you know, obviously, start with Kenny. Probably not as dynamic as Arpy. You got Burton and May after the other week. The halves combination was obviously Luai and May, so it was another different combination. I will say on the flip side of that, though, that it was May's best game. He had a few nice touches and a few good passes and probably coming on the back of exactly what we spoke about before. If you don't play a position, in particular a key position, consistently for a few years after now having a couple of games, um, he still had some moments there where it was a bit disorganised, but he came up with a few really quality plays, especially the pass out to Tyre where he dropped it in the basket, scored in the corner. But, uh, yeah, by no means was it a great performance by Penrith, but I dare say... And I'll say this confidently, that if Nathan and Jerome were the halves, that would have been an absolute bloodbath. Yeah, it would have been. But the, the goal was to win the game, and they got it done. Um, the Warriors were just absolutely given zero chance to win that game with all those injuries and issues that they had, because up until that point, they were competing, probably winning the game. 100%. And they, they held on for dear life, probably for... 60, 65 minutes given the circumstances until it just got too much. Exactly, yeah. They yeah. Were, um, you can make an argument they were the better side up until they hit those issues. Yeah. Ultimately brave. Um, and yeah, Fenua Blake, Lodge, Walsh never stopped attacking even with the troops around him that were missing through his hat in the ring at any opportunity. Um, cops and knocks and Played very, very well on the Penrith side of things. Like I said, May's one of his better games. Things definitely were signified it was going to be a hard day when Kickout scores minute one from a charge down. Um, he had one of his better performances. Martin off the bench was great. Fish, huge again. And the Origin backup players as well, Yo and a couple of those guys. But a bit of concern about Fish at the end there. Got awkwardly caught in a tackle. And they've said that he hurt his knee, his neck, and maybe an arm. So hopefully nothing too sinister, but he got caught in an ugly spot there and copped a few knocks all at once. Yeah, the last thing they did is an injury to him. Oh, if, if he was gone and Nathan's shoulder doesn't hold up, they would be in big trouble. Big trouble. But uh, looking at the Warriors side of things, uh, pretty much the final death blow to their season. Harris, one of their hardest workers and consistent players, ACL gone. Egan will be out for the rest of the year, so they're probably going to have to call on Tavunga to share some time with young Otakolo and he'll get some extra minutes. Barry's hamstring's likely to be a few more weeks and Sheck was obviously knocked out cold by that hip and bounced his head off the floor, so there's no guarantee that he'll be right to go this week either. Yeah, they've just been absolutely smashed, haven't they? Yeah, not, uh, not ideal and still, like we said, seven weeks to go. So they're gonna still have, competed. 100%. They're going to gonna have to find some fighting spirit and find some players this week, but... Um, yeah, they've certainly been in a hard trot this year, that's for sure. Tigers-Broncos, 42-24. This was a bit of a U-score, we-score, proven again why these two teams are where they are. Uh, defensively, they're both abhorrent. The Broncos looked to probably have the better of the run early, uh, but couldn't get out of their own way. And by the back end of the game, it sort of flipped around. I, I thought the Tigers off the back of offloading and moving the football around a little bit. and In particular, Adam Dewey and Dane Laurie, who have been their two consistent players all year, uh, getting to dominate and run the ball and offload and bust things up pretty easily. Found themselves in a position where 
second half, they were the first one to go back-to-back and then they just steamrolled. Brisbane just absolutely fell apart and errors couldn't get out of their own way. They had the no-try, obviously, where Staggs went over and looked to get themselves back in the lead and from there it just unraveled. Um, in particular, the Tigers' right-hand side up against Brisbane's left, they went really at that space where Croft is. They were very disconnected. They found love down there. Um, and there's a few moments, obviously, that were a bit comedic, in particular the try that bounced off Tessie News' ass and three or four blokes missed it when Offaluma scores. Uh, you know, the, the ease at which they got through them a few times. Like, Dewey had four or five guys hanging off him a few times. <laughs> Dane Laurie just slid through with ease. Uh, the Marmolo try and offload to Parga on debut was a nice moment, but... Um, yeah, it was just another one of those days for Brisbane where they, they kept themselves in the fight, but once they copped two in a row, it just unraveled. No, it seemed like um, Brisbane were obviously the dominant team in the first half, but they um, they didn't take advantage of it on the scoreboard enough. Like, I know they led it up, I think they led by eight at half time, but it wasn't enough. Um, and then the Tigers, when they flipped around, they just were able to score points a lot easier than what Brisbane were. And that's just that's that sign, like you said, of just teams that you know aren't, aren't top eight footy sides. Because when momentum shifts against you, you've got to be able to plug the holes. And unfortunately, they both just leave like a sieve. Uh, and that's been that's been the Tigers' issue all year. It's, it's been an issue for the last two years. So no coach has been able to fix that. And, Madge, uh, that'd be a relieving win for, for Madge because, you know, if they would have, you know, the second half, the first half repeats itself in the second half and they get beat by 16, like, there would have been a lot of chatter today about his job. So, um, I think he's doing the best with, with what he's got. I also think Kevy's probably doing a pretty decent job there at the moment. Like, I, you look at the troops they've got, um, I'm not sure what more can be expected of, of Brisbane and particularly when they're trying to fire shop everyone sort of out of the joint it doesn't make for an enjoyable place to be and particularly when you've got one eye on next year it makes it really hard to focus on being at your best for this year uh, I guess the interesting part is you know we saw all three Queensland teams get beat and they're the only three that are sleeping in their beds and sort of living their normal life so that was interesting but um it's a fair point. Yeah, all in all, look, I think, yeah, I think all in all, the, um, yeah, the Tigers can yeah, hopefully take some momentum out of it. And, because as we highlighted before with their draw, they've got some, there's some pathways there for them to get a few wins if they're, if they're good enough. Mm. And I think, again, off the back of the bye and three shellackings where it was like 160-something points or whatever, they needed a response, and I said it as much when we did our tips. The reason I tipped the Broncos was they've come off the back of a good situation. I don't know if the Tigers, you know, were going to come in and, and show a whole lot. It looked like they'd almost quit the talk about the player revolt, the pressure on Madge. Like, I just didn't know what to expect. But for his situation right now, um, things will quieten down for another seven days until next week when they play Manly. And, uh, interesting for anyone tonight. for the Tigers. Yeah, Tiger Tales, the documentary series on Fox, starts tonight on uh, 502 and KO, so that'll be interesting to get a look behind the scenes. Yeah, looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. And a lot of people, 
heard a lot of negative commentary around it. People, oh, only the Tigers fans fucking care about that. It's like, really? Mate, I love all that so shit. A lot of, um, a lot of chatter, yeah, on, on social media about, well, who cares? It's only the Tigers and a lot of about the ninth place stuff, but... Who cares? You know, this is the NFL. The NFL do this. It shouldn't matter what team it is. Like, it just gives you an insight into the inner sanctum and it's, yeah, it's great. Can't wait. Well, if they give you a good look, which it looks like they have, that's all I care about. Oh, I'm interested in all sports. We obviously watch the... Yeah. All or Nothing series. It's on Amazon. They've got a couple for the NFL. They've got the All Blacks. Um, they've got a college one with Michigan. Like you get a good inside. They've got Premier League teams that have followed for a year. Like it's, it's the sort of access you wish you had. Yeah, exactly. So compared to some of the content they've done before, like the Summer Series or the Titans did one this off season, which I thought you know showed bugger all. It was a lot of music and yeah. It was. Cut, cut clips like if you want to get raw bone the fact that they've got Madge there in the box mic'd up or spraying him at half time you, you, you're getting a real insight to what's going on yeah I, I can't wait for it so um, good result for them like we said rough start rough month or so lots of chatter but that'll quieten things down for a week uh, the two most consistent have been the same guys the whole way Dewey whether he's been at centre or six I think he just looks better at six when he's near the ball and can run and let things happen off the back of that and Offloads, passing game, set up a few tries. He had a hand in just about everything. Takes pressure off Brooks, who was just able to kick, do his job. Um, Laurie's been good all year. Yuta Kamanu brought some confidence out of origin, had a few good moments. Um, yeah, solid overall. And for the Broncos, the standout is the same bloke as the standout every week, Payne Huss. He backed up and he had a huge game again. Yeah, the scary part is, like we said, we, I think people forget his age. His third year of first grade, he's only 21. Yeah, it is scary. So he ticks a lot of boxes, that's for sure. But the last game, South versus the Dogs. A um, couple of late changes for the Bulldogs. But again, wholehearted, full of effort. Um, but South, for me, out of this performance, this is another one of those games where I look at it and go, I know they can attack. I know they turned it on last year, but to me... I'm just really not overly convinced that come finals time they're going to be able to be ruthless enough or resilient defensively and, and go for 80 minutes or be consistent across a game with a Melbourne or a Penrith or even a Manly at this point in the time with what they can do with their attack. Uh, I, I, I have genuine concerns about South. Yeah, it's, it's tough. Um, I don't think they got one eye on the finals at the moment. They sort of like, well, we're not going to finish first or second. We're not going to finish outside the four. So we're sort of just waiting around to to get ready for that four week final series. So I, yeah, I want to see week one of the finals. I think we're going to we're going to see who the real South Sydney are. Well, similar deal. Have they got a game coming up where we're gonna see them beat? They got the Warriors this week. They got the Dragons the week after. Do they play a Mel- They played Parramatta in round twenty-one, so that's at least more. Yeah, of a- they played. I think they played Penrith and Melbourne in back-to-back weeks. Penrith round twenty-three. The Roosters round twenty-four. No, I mean, I mean previously they played Penrith and Melbourne and got smacked by fifty in both games. Well, yeah, within a short space they got fifty by both. But yeah, yeah. to finish the year they play Parramatta. Roosters round twenty-four, and they've got round twenty-three against the Panthers. So. There's at least we'll, we'll get an indication, I hope, on the run in where they're at. But um, like last year, last year I had more hope, and then obviously they had that huge result against the Roosters with all coming in. But this year, particularly defensively, and just their middle, 
I look at their middle and I'm like, you know, in a game like that, they're okay. But up against the Ford pack like Melbourne or up against the Panthers pack, I, I, I don't know. I've, I've got some questions. Yeah, roughly so. Roughly so. But, I, yeah, I'm going to wait for my judgment and lay it down come finals. Yeah. Um, yeah, like we said, moments in this game. But full credit to the Bulldogs. Bulldogs showed some good fight. A um, couple of good moments for some young guys. Bailey Biondo, all the way from 20s into first grade, had two big plays in this game at dummy half first. Sold a nice dummy uh, in a 12-point turnaround. It was a big big moment in the game for the Bulldogs. Sewer. Misses the Reynolds grubber kick, should have scored, would have been up 16-0. Goes down the other end, turns out at marker, Biondi jumps in behind him, sets up the try for young Aaron Shoop, and obviously later in the game, Host gets a bad pass down low, pops up in his hands, and Biondi's the man on the scene to snatch that one and run the other way and score. So uh, they were right up to their neck in this one. They were physical. Luke Thompson, again, the real forward leader, and as a pack, they really got stuck into South, made him uncomfortable. There was obviously the... The halftime brouhaha, which, you know, at, at the time I kind of thought it was good that he was getting under a, the skin of Cody Walker because he's one of those guys you can sort of put off. But once uh, he took him down and everything stopped and it incited that whole push and shove, like the sin bin was probably justified to the situation. I thought it, he didn't mean he didn't mean by much by it, but I, he probably went one step too far, poor Lockie Lewis, and I, that really hurt him. I thought it hurt them, but I, I didn't think it was a sin bin. I'll, I'll be honest. I'd, under what rule are you sending him to the sin bin? Oh, well, half-time, they were walking off. Everything was done, and Neck Minity took him to the ground. So that incited the whole man pile that started, and luckily nothing else came of it, but it was pretty yeah, pretty dumb. But how many man piles do we see that have no one sin bin? I get that, but they're generally... I, with... I don't know. I, I, sort of, I agree with Darren on the was like, I've never seen anyone sin bin after, like, time's been blown in half, and, like, he didn't hit him, he didn't... Like, he sort of threw him on the ground, like, they were half laughing about it. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I think he's, I think he's a harmless player. too big of an impact on the game for what it was, like... No, I, I guess, again... No, I don't know, man, I, that's my take on it. I thought, you know, you see Munster kick blokes, and he doesn't get turned in the bin, but Lockie Lewis sort of half, you know kid tackle someone and he gets sin bin yeah I don't know yeah I don't get it I don't get it either but I kind of looked at it and thought well considering what happened afterwards that's what the ref and the bunker have gone off they're like well we were done we're walking off it's one thing to do well inciting what had happened they probably thought you know you've chirped that in and whatever oh I don't know bringing the game in a different I don't know I don't know Ah, uh, who knows? But, yeah, I don't know. I, that, that's, that's all I want to know. I want to, I want to know what the actual reason. I still think it's more for that. Like, what? What was it? It's like when you're third man in. Uh, that's the way I think they've looked at it. Everything was done. They were starting to walk, and until he takes him down, grade one fucking brain snap. You've turned into this massive man pile. So that's basically what I think they've got him for. Just saying it was unnecessary. The half was done, and then you've caused that. So go for ten. Lockie, you're fucking out of brain snaps, huh? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, ugly by South, but again, in key moments, their big players come up with some big plays. Cody Walker, despite uh, being a little bit rattled, had some quality passes again. 
Gagai was involved in a few moments there, pass off the ground. One of the passes that got back to Cody Walker to put Johnson in the corner, he had his hand in uh, a few big moments. And I think uh, big Georgie, he, he had some really good carries, laid a good platform that led to some tries. And Kalama Matungi had a big game again. Um, very, very busy. And Mark Nichols, shout out to one of my old uh, teammates. Hell of a bloke. He, he persisted for a long time. Spent some time at Canberra, a couple of years at Melbourne, and he's found a, a bit of a home now at South and getting some consistent footy. But he, he bagged a try in his 100th. He jumped in there on that ball, got thrown back inside from Gagai, and he stole one. He, he, he was ball hawking, man. He went hard for it. That was awesome. I, I was cheering when he got that one because, like you said, he, he snatched it from host, I think, or someone else. But... It's a good effort for a front rower to be over all the way over there in a corner to grab that one. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, not the prettiest of wins, but a win nevertheless. And for the Bulldogs, uh, full credit for their effort. I thought they were aggressive. They had, you know, a few moments go against them. Like, poor Nick Meaney wasn't the best night for him. Um, he's been pretty good the last month or so, but unfortunately dropped a few footies. Um, but, yeah, there, there were some flashes there. And hopefully this announcement from Gus boys people a little bit and uh, any recruitment and retention decisions now I'm sure uh, the club and the fans can feel a little bit more confident about the situation going forward yeah we well, think so wouldn't you you hope so huh? yeah I think their performances have been better as the season's gone on and yeah they'll obviously make some roster moves and get another pre-season and put some of these younger kids in and Gus will come along and I think they'll yeah, they're gonna be better. Six months' time, they'll be better. There you go. Well, two hours. We went heavy duty. Yeah. What else is there to do, son? No, nah, no. Nah, but it's good. We obviously, like you said, a bit more on the reviews. They're a bit more relevant today. But uh, there was a few announcements, like the gusting, and like we said, talk about the New Zealand situation and uh, player movement, etc. And yeah, go through things a bit more in depth. Yeah, we'll come back. Come back Wednesday morning, and we'll do a preview. We do a bit more in depth than we usually do because it's not at the back end of a show. Go through the tips and the odds. We might even have a bit more of a decent look at the betting for once because it'll be a day later. Usually, usually we don't. Yeah, pick... we'll have the teams and stuff as well. Yeah, usually we don't pick our bet at like midnight when we're recording because the lists are just out and uh, it's a bit hard. But uh, yeah, we'll have a good look. We'll preview those games coming up. We'll have a look at some odds with. Uh, Blue Bet, because there's no one better to bet with. They're the true blue Aussie bookie. www.bluebet.com.au or download the app today. And we're on a bit of a cold streak with our punters club. So we need to uh, need to find some wins for our charity. We do. I'll, we take, do. The, I'll take the blame, because pre-COVID, I was still working most weekends, and I kept forgetting to message you. So most of the time, I'd you know, kind of slip my mind, and by then, I'd missed five or six games for the weekend, and I'd be left with uh, limited options. So I've probably... Probably hurt us a little bit there, but uh, hopefully we can get on a bit of a run at the back end here. Hope so, man. Hope so. But for everybody out there, uh, whether you're in Melbourne, New South Wales, or anywhere across the country, lockdown, no lockdown, however this is affecting you, uh, most importantly, hope you're staying safe. Keep in touch with friends, family, those around you. Make sure you keep yourself, uh, you know, switched on in that situation don't isolate yourself and uh, I've said it before last time we've said it before if you're a small business if you're a local business if you're looking for uh, any any sort of plug any sort of help or if you're just looking to have a chat because you're locked up feel free to inbox us we uh, don't always reply bang on time but we'll do our best um, we're always here as well uh, like I said many times before this show 
doesn't happen without listeners and fans being happy to listen to us talk shit and dribble all the time. So uh, we have a massive appreciation for you guys. So if you're out there, uh, we hope you're all doing well, staying safe, and, yeah, fingers crossed uh, we'll be out of this soon. There you go. I'm off to uh, make a coffee. Coffee. All good. Well, big thanks to Penrose Solar Centre, bluebet.com, and Boxhead, as always, for your ears bleeding from my excessive talking. And to all our listeners out there, rate and review the show on iTunes. Fingers crossed. No issues this week uh, with that transition with their new platform. It kind of fucked us last week with that first one. Uh, Acast, I have to give a rap to. They... They did everything they could to help. They sent me all the information, but uh, unfortunately, yeah, iTunes didn't really do a whole lot for me for a day or two, but hopefully that transition's happened now and we don't have that issue again. Easy. Speak Wednesday. There you go, guys. We'll talk to you on Wednesday. Bring it on. Give us more. Give us more. Where are you going? Where are you, what, 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 what's going on here? Is that it? Is that it? Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.